Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Good, good afternoon, everyone. You're welcome to Life Teaching by your servant in God's house, Pastor Laide Odushote. You're welcome again this afternoon as I share God's word with us. This afternoon again, we're going to continue where we stopped the last week. And what basically we're going to be doing is to look at the good man and goodness. The good man and goodness. And I'm trusting God that it's going to be another wonderful and powerful time in God's presence. Okay, so I welcome every one of us on board again this afternoon for another life-transforming experience as we share God's word together. Okay, so we are welcome. I want us to welcome our friends. Let's share this message with our friends and then let's have, uh, let's have a wonderful and fantastic time together in God's presence. Okay, let us pray. And so, our Father, we want to thank you this afternoon Gracious God, good, kind, the one that forgives iniquity, the one that executes righteousness and judgment to all, God good, the one who redeems our lives, the one who crowns our lives with loving kindness and with his tender mercies. You are the one we have come to again this afternoon as your children and your children to be. Of your, of your goodness we have come to receive to the end that we too might be good. Lord, I ask, O oh God, that by your Spirit you will make your word known to us. You will, your word will be communicated in his power and in his wisdom to the end that we might be established in those things that are exclu exclusively yours and that we may be able to function after your order. Your word say that we should be perfect like our Father who is in heaven. That we cannot do in the energy of self. It can only be done in your power, by your own engineering. We submit our faculties to you again. And we ask, O oh God, that your word will be beyond letters. It will be life. It will be spirit. And it will be transformational to our soul. Thank you, Father. Lord, help me to make your word known as your servant. And let your people... Receive your word that will transform their lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Okay, so we, we've been looking at the good man. And today what we want to basically do is to look at the virtuous operation of this man, the good man. So we are looking at the good man and goodness. That which he practice, that which, you know, the virtuous operation. You know of this man now we saw last week that generally speaking as a reason of our fallen nature in adam the bible declares that there is none that is good none is good in our nature in adam though we carry out good acts and action but by the time you dig into our motives our motivations and the means most of the time by which we get our things done, many a time they are that you know many of these things are corrupted. 
there is inordinacy somewhere along the chain of our operation. And the Bible, looking at the scripture, the scripture completely is averse to such. The scripture look at things holistically. As far as the Bible is concerned, we're not just looking at things superficially. We look at things, you know, from a broad perspective. We look at things deeply. We look at things from all angles. So, and what we have seen last week is that from the scripture, none is good. But we look at, you know, as we compare ourselves to God, we find that God is good. Jesus told us there is none that is good but God alone. So we've seen that God is the only one that is good. God is the only one that is gracious. And we, we saw from the scripture that his nature is inherently good. God is good in his nature. Now maybe we should just remind ourselves one or two scriptures scriptures look at psalm 34 psalm 34 and verse 6 some of this scripture remind us again okay psalm 34 and verse uh, is it verse 6 now psalm 30 wow wow let's look at um in its nature some okay um which scripture is best will best explain this for me now okay let's look at psalm 86 psalm 86 and verse 6 psalm 86 and verse 5 sorry psalm 86 and verse uh, verse 5 okay so it says for thou lord art good so that is definite. God is good and ready to forgive his operation. He is good and is ready. His virtuous operation, you know, translate into forgiveness. Plenteous in mercy. God is plenteous. He's not scarce. God is abundant in mercy unto all that call upon them. In fact, you see, the, the other part of the scripture that tells us that God is merciful to all. And, you know, how much more when we now call on him? So, inherently, in his nature, God is good. And then we also saw that he's not just good in, you know, in his nature. God is also good in his works. Look at Psalm 33 and verse 5. God is good in his works, in his oppression. Psalm 33 verse 5. He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the lord so the the old earth is full of his goodness the old earth explain and demonstrate and showcase the good works of god is and the work his goodness is to all you know spread across the globe god sustain all things you know gives us those things that makes our you know that provides sustainability to man because god is good until tomorrow, God is still good. The goodness of God, you understand, makes man to have, you know, to have his existence. Despite the father, most of the time, we don't reciprocate in God's operation. So God is good to all. That's what the Bible tells us. Psalm 145 verse 9. Look at the goodness of God again here. God is good to all. The goodness of God is divergent in his operation. God is good to all, not few, all. 
And we, are, we said last week that the reason why we are learning this is so that by the time we begin to extend this to you, you will know the extent, you will know the gravity of the good or the goodness that God wants to elicit in us or God is looking for. The Lord is good to all, to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. So the Lord is good to all, to all men. Whether they believe in him or not, whether they, they defer to him or not, whether they acknowledge him as God, as Lord or not, God is good to all. His goodness covers all. So we've seen that. But you see, man is not good, but you see, for a world to model God, to really enjoy and to make most of God's creation, there, you know, there is need for emergence of good men. But we've seen that in Adam, none is good. So what did God do? The first thing God, you know, did is to raise good men out of the, you know, the whole multitude of men that are not good. To raise good men. And that is a covenant he actually made with Abraham. When he told him that in him the nation of the earth, the nations of the earth will be blessed. So we see last week that God, the first thing God did is first to turn men, to turn certain to good men, you know, positionally, inherently to turn us to good men. And we look at that as to God working us and changing our hearts that, that has made us to be callous, to be made us to be evil. He changed that heart and he turned us to, you know, to good men and implanted in us new treasure of himself. That's what God did. He implanted in us his new treasure of his nature. Of, his, of the person of his son, the carrier of the nature and of the essence of God. That's what we saw last week. So, new species of men has emerged in Christ. Now, this new species of men, this new creation, have Christ now resident on the inside of them. Now, Christ has brought into us all the nature, the essence of God, his goodness, his mercies, his love, his kindness, you know, everything about God now inhabit us positionally. But that which is true positionally must now find expression in us as we deliver goodness to all. You know, the Bible says, for the goodness of God leads men to repentance. So that as men interact with us, they will touch the goodness of God through us. This is the goal of Christianity. This is the goal of our salvation. It's so that God can turn us, all of us, to little Christs, little children of His. We are now His representative because we carry His nature. And we carry His nature because Christ resides on the inside of us by His Spirit. Any wonder the Bible tells us that we are God's temple. So in the Old Testament, temple were built with human hands. But now God is the one building his own temple by himself. And you and I are now God's temple. God resides on the inside of us. So we are now mobile temples of God with the treasure of God inside of us. And that treasure is Christ. Second Corinthians and chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look at it from verse, uh, verse 5. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servant, and ourselves your servant for Jesus' sake. 
Okay, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts. You see again, the light of heaven has shone in our hearts. The darkness of our heart has been removed. Christ has become the light that find expression in our heart to give the light of the glow of the of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now verse 7 now says, but we have this treasure. The treasure here is Christ in adding vessel. Christ in us. The basis of our being good men. So Christ come to take residence on the inside of us as turned us to good men. Look at Matthew and chapter 12. So we see the first thing God did is to turn us to good men. In his son, in his Christ. Matthew 12, 33. Matthew 12, 33. Look at this. Look at this. Okay, verse 33. Either make the tree good and his fruit good. Or else make the tree corrupt and its fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by its fruit. So you see, either make a tree good. The first thing God did is that before you seek good fruit in us, amongst us, you understand from man, is first to make man good. Now, man cannot make himself good by, by any form of ingenuity. We don't have what it takes because our problem is inherently heart issue. Our heart is stony and it's rotting. There's problem with our heart. God is the only one who can do this and he did it. You know, fulfilling the covenant he made with his people. Ezekiel 36, 26, we read all those last week. So, having made us good, he has now come to take residence on the inside of us by his spirit. So, we are now made good. So, now that we are good trees, then we can now bring forth good fruits. Now, those good fruits demonstrate the goodness of God in our lives. Or, now, or we now display the goodness of God. Look at Luke 6. So, the problem of man is the fact that man inherently is evil. Man has problem fundamental in his heart. God has to do something in, with our heart. Remove the bad and the rotten and the stony heart and give us new heart. And turn us to a new temple of ease. He has now come to take residence on the inside of us. So we are now, you know, temple or body, you know, uh, uh, we are now containers of new treasures. We are now new trees, new species of men. So henceforth, it is expected of us to bear good fruits. To bear the fruit after our nature. So, we are now good men. And it's expected of us to walk in goodness. Luke 6, 43. Luke 6, 43. Look at it. And verse 43. Look at it again. For a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit. See, what God did is to turn us to good tree. And so, naturally... After that nature, you are not, you won't bring forth corrupt tree if you yield to that nature. Neither does a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. It's not possible. For every tree is known by its own fruit. So you see, the problem of man is what is his nature. So our nature has problem. Hence, whatever we are bringing forth has problem. But in Christ. There is a the solution is brought to light. 
We are now new species of men in Christ. We are now new creation. We have been made good. So those of us who are hearing me, if you're a Christian, God is saying you are a good person. You are now a good man. Somebody say, well, I'm trying to be humble. I don't want to accept that I'm a good man. No. You must call yourself what God has made you. You must believe what God has made you because, you know, right belief will bring about right practice. It is not humility to say you are not good. Be, because your goodness is not fundamentally in yourself anymore. It is now in Christ. You have been made good and so you are a good man. And because you are a good man, it is expected of you to walk in goodness. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 tells us that we have been recreated in Christ. There is a, a re-engineering that God has done in us. Turning us to good men, henceforth, we are, it is expected of us to bring forth good works. Look at it. Ephesians now. Ephesians and chapter 2. Ephesians and chapter 2. Okay. So it says, we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. Another translation says, recreated in Christ Jesus. Unto good works. So this is how God fashioned us. Which God has before ordained. Actually, the goal of God is that the whole earth will be filled with good men. But Satan deceived the first man, Adam. Evil entered into men. So, what we now have over the earth is evil men. Distributed across the globe. Even when we do good, like we said last week, when you look at our motives, our motivation, and means by which we do many things, you will find that a lot of it, corruption lies you know, on, you know, on the path. But what God is saying is that I want good men on earth. I want good works, demonstration, things that will showcase my essence. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are, you are an only nation. You are a people completely set apart for the master. And you are to show forth his excellence, you know, his excellence, his praises, his nature, his virtue. You are to make it known through your life. So the good man, we, the good man we are talking about is the new man in Christ Jesus. He's been refashioned. We are now good trees. We have been made good. Lyde is a good man, and he is saddled with the responsibility of being good. Don't say you are not good because that will bring irresponsible living in your life. It is right belief, sound belief, accurate belief that will bring about, you know, right living. Orthodoxy, we give back to orthopraxy. Right living emanates from right believing. You see, Bible said, my people perish because they lack knowledge. You must have the knowledge of who you are. Because that casts a responsibility on you. That position you to latch on God by faith and live in accordance to the way you are wired. This is the scriptures. Okay, now look at it. Isaiah, just laying this foundation, you know, that will help us. Isaiah 61. Isaiah and chapter 61. Look at something there and verse uh, 3. 
verse 3, to appoint unto them, these new people, that morning Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called the trees of righteousness. You guys are trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord, the Lord planted us. We are, see, we, God is the husband man. The Bible says you are, you know, you, in, in uh, where now? John 15. Jesus was saying as to the Father, my Father has a vineyard. He has planted us. We are now offshoot of Christ. So, we should bring forth fruit as we take nutrients from Christ. We naturally bring forth fruit that display and demonstrate and showcase the fact that we are now God's. So the Bible says that we, we are the planting of the Lord that he might be glorified. You see, the Bible says that by, you know, by your good works, which men sh that shall see, they may glorify your father who is in heaven. So as a Christian, you have no excuse to hide under any shade. The only option and alternative you have is that you are going to live in sync and in harmony to whom we are in Christ Jesus. So you are a good man. You are not good naturally. You are not good on the other side of the cross. But through the cross of Jesus, an end was brought to that man. A new man has emerged. A new man resurrected with Christ. And you are to walk in this newness. And the newness here is you are walking in newness of goodness. Romans 15. So the apostles have this to say to the saints. Romans and chapter 15. See what they say about us. I said this last week, you know, look at what they said about you. And this is the truth. You understand? This is the truth. He said, and I myself also am persuaded of you. So I'm saying to all of you, I'm persuaded of you, my brethren, that you will also, you also are full of goodness. See, this is not for the practice. It is what you are full of in Christ. You are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge of this reality, able also to admonish one another after this manner. So, when we see a Christian that behaves contrary to this new nature, we can call that person to order. So, you see, I am holding you accountable to your nature. I am calling you that this is not you. Somebody say, well, this is me naturally. That's not you. Before you got born again. But in Christ, this is not what we expected of you. No, you are not living in sync to that nature. We are not laying a demand on Lyde. We are laying a demand on Christ in you. We are saying, Lyde, no way. We don't want you. We want Christ in you. We are saying, away with Lyde Odushote. And we are saying, we want to see Christ John the Baptist says he must increase, I must decrease. We want to see Christ finding expression through my nature, you know, through me, as I, you know, as I'm being set aside. So the nature of Christ constantly become manifest. So then, who is this good man? We defined it last week, and I want to define it again. The good man, you understand, is the new creature. In Christ Jesus is a man with a new nature in Christ. The nature of goodness of Christ has been battered in him. He is a new creature, is the new species of man. That is first the person. So the good man we are talking about is not first in his action. 
It is not first in his performance. It is not first about his works. It is first about who he is. And who he is is defined by the person of Christ. This technology, this position is so important. Otherwise, you become legalistic. You will think God is after your performance. You become legalistic. What God is looking for is expression of the nature, his nature in you. It's not about you performing. It's about you allowing God to find expression in you. For it is God that works in you, both to will and to do of his own good pleasure. So it's about, we are talking about the nature of God taking over me and causing me to walk after a different manner. Contrary to my family heritage. Contrary to my nationality, contrary to my skin color, my ethnicity, my social class, whatever I am in my natural life, contrary to that, it is now about the life of Christ, the life of another, finding expression in me. This is what this thing is about. So, the, the good man is first that. And then we now say, this man practice goodness. And in that sense, he practice goodness in the sense that he seek. Now here the definition. The good man seek and give. He seek, he give and contribute vitally, intentionally to the good, progress, joy and advantage of others on the basis of his own person. So the good man we're talking about is the man who is good and in his goodness he seeks, he gives, he contributes to the good, progress, joy, advantage of others on the basis of his own person as a result of the fact that the good one, which is Christ, now takes residence on the inside of him. So because the good one lives in me, I practice goodness as a fruit of his nature. Because the good one is in me, I live out his life. I cooperate, you know. So it becomes a practical work, working. If you know, it becomes a subjective experience of the objective reality which is Christ is at work in me. Again, I say the good one. The good man is a man who, who in Christ Jesus, as a result of that, deals with the shortcoming, the idiosyncrasies, the imperfections of others on the basis of mercy, kindness, love, power, which he has, which he received, which he has come to partake of as a result of the good one that resides on the inside of him. So, the good man relates, interacts, you understand, with others. He knows that he's going to encounter shortcomings, idiosyncrasies, imperfections, you know, uh, offenses from others. He understands that. But there's something on the inside of him that helps him, that builds him up, that shapes him to deal with all those negative from others. And that is the love of God, the mercy of God, the kindness of God, the goodness of God on the inside of him. So by the time you look at the oppression of this man, you can boldly say, this man is good. Look at the way he deals with others. Look at the way he deals with their shortcoming. Look at the way he deals with offenses from others. Look at the way he's generous. This guy, he, you know, is tend, you know, is tenderness. He has understand. He is courteous. 
you know, he has that empathy. There's compassion. He doesn't look down on people. You know, he doesn't carry himself as if he's superior and better to others. He's just a good man. And like I said in, you know, in our, uh, in the flyer, I said if there's anything our globe needs, is the emergence of good men. You see, the global pain we have today, the, the pain we share amongst ourselves, is all because we are not good. Man is not good. Sometimes, when you even see people demonstrating good, you realize that most of the time, we do that, you know, uh, sectionally, to certain that we like, to certain that falls into a good book. Not necessarily because that's our nature. But we are saying that the goodness here is, is you know, is divergent in its operation. It's to all. Just like our Father in heaven is good to all. Look at Micah. Chapter 6. Micah chapter 6. Bible says, Be perfect like your father who is in heaven. And our father who is in heaven is goodness. You understand? God demonstrates his goodness to all. All. Okay. Micah 6. Look at it. Let's go from verse 7. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of ram or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? What can we possibly give to God? Nothing. He has shown you, O man, what is good. What does what the Lord what does the Lord the Lord require of thee? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. But this is not possible in ourselves. You see, that which Micah said prophetically, no man can elicit. You can't do it in yourself. It was only made, this is only made possible in Christ. It's because Christ has refashioned us that this is now being worked out. Anyone that Jesus said, I have not come to destroy no law, no prophet, but to fulfill such and to make it a reality, a, something that you can walk in. So, what God wants of us, you understand, demanded in the law and in the prophet, Christ has brought to reality in our experience. So, you know, he said, he wants man to be good. He has shown us that which is good. And what the Lord wants, to do justly with others. To be just with others. To love mercy. To, to be fair with others. To operate in fairness. Do, are you sure that we are naturally fair? Or are we, are we not just fair sectionally to certain? Don't you see the spate of racism amongst us? White against black, black against black against white, black against black. You understand? The rich oppress the poor. The op the the poor speaks evil of the rich. We castigate one another. Look at the spate of global violence. All manner of isms that is rampaging our world. Because there is problem with us. So we think we are advancing in technology, but the rottenness of our heart makes our common existence to conk. And there is pain. And the only way out is emergence of good men. Men virtuous. Men that are truly good, not just because of what is in need for them, but because that is the only way we are, you know, we are created and we are refashioned to live. So for us, our being good is not just because it will bring good to us. It's because that is the only option we have. That is the way we live in our kingdom. 
That is the nature of our father. God is good to man. Is it because God is waiting for anything from us? God is not waiting for anything. You know, the Bible says, who has first given to God that will not require anything from God? God is not waiting for anything from, from man. And God, you know, the Bible, you know, tells us that that's the same God expected, God expect of us. But that's not possible in our strength. That's not possible in our own nature. It can only be done by the warning of God. So we're talking about a nature that is being worked out that now makes us to now be to now operate after our father who is in heaven because our father is good to all we read psalm 145 verse 9 for he is good to all look at matthew matthew so we're talking about this good man and his goodness that this the goodness of this man is the, is a virtuous operation it's not an operation that is game driven. You see, one of the things I really want us to get is that we've taught a lot of things in the church. And for me, these things are just legalism. We, we tell Christians to be good, to do this to people, so that nothing will hinder your own advance with God. I tell you to forgive others so that God can forgive you. You've got to be good to others if you really want the good of God. That is not New Testament. That is not what the scripture is teaching us in the New Testament. New Testament is about what Jesus has wrought in us and what that must, how that must shape our lifestyle. For instance, to us in the New Testament, we forgive people because we have first received forgiveness. We demonstrate good and we are good to people because we have received the nature of our Father who is in heaven and we must model his life. Galatians 5.22 5.22 was telling us the fruit of the spirit. He's talking about this is the fruit. This is the outworking of the nature of God in you. It's, one of it is goodness. We are good people. And we are going to show good. Not because people are good to us, but because we are good. So our goodness is no more object driven. It is we driven. I am the subject here. My goodness is depends on my own nature. It is contingent in me. But because, you know, but this is made possible because I have this treasure. My heart has been has become a, an habitation of good treasure. But I must cultivate that. That is the basis. That is why saints of God must cultivate our fellowship with our Father in heaven. And this is what makes the nature, what who we are in Christ, makes it practical in our operation. Now look at it, Matthew and chapter 5. Okay, verse 43. He said, you have heard it being said. This is what Moses taught. Thou shalt love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Those who love you, love them back. Those who hate you, hate them back. That's the nature. That's what Moses taught. But that is to unregenerated man. That's still to the fallen man. That's the, to the man who has no strength in himself. And God is not exacting so much from that person. If somebody is good to you, God said, be good to that person. If somebody is wicked to you, be wicked. If somebody costs you, cause back. But after the regeneration, you know, having resurrected with Jesus, and that we are now sp new species of men, and the Spirit of God indwells us, the narrative has changed. Look at it, 44. But I see unto you, this you is a prophetic teaching. Even though Jesus said this before his death, but it's prophetic. Talking to his own, who are those people that potentially will receive him? Love your enemies. 
Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Let me tell you, this is not possible if you are not regenerated. This is not possible. If you, if you have not first received Christ, not as a miracle worker, but as the resurrected Lord. If you have not received this, you know, Christ, the firstborn from the dead. If you have not received, this is not possible. But it is not made possible having received him because the nature of God is worked. Now look at it. That you may be the children of your father, which is in heaven. In other words, living like this demonstrates the nature. The father will carry God's nature. So the good man we talk about is the man that carries the nature of God. But the nature of God is implanted in you as a result of Christ coming to take residence on this side of us. That you may be children of your father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good. And what? The good here is talking, you know, when you talk about the evil and on the good, is saying, looking at good and evil in terms of general uh, morality. Not necessarily in the sense of good that we've looked at. And send that his reign on the just and on the unjust. God allow his reign to fall on all. Both Christian and unbelievers. Both those who believe him or not, God allow his son. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans do the same. What he's saying here is that if you love or if you are good only to those who are good to you, what reward is that? That is not, you know, the power of God driven. That is not, that is not an expression of the nature of God. That doesn't demand any energy from heaven. That doesn't demand the power of the Spirit of God. The Bible says, For it is not by power, nor by might, but by my Spirit shall men live after the manner of the expectation of God in the New Testament. But the Bible is telling us that if you only love those who love you, if you greet only those who greet you, if you greet your husband because he is good to you today, and tomorrow you offended you and you are not going to greet your husband now, you are not going to be good to him. You are not going to be good to your spouse. You know, we do all those things. And most of them, we're just retaliating. We're just paying ourselves in bad coin. That is not what God expects of us. What God expects of you is that you are not going to pay your spouse in the coin he paid. Your husband treated you in a way you don't like. The Bible is saying that you are going to demonstrate the fact that you are a child of God. Goodness is the only thing you, you owe him. The same thing goes to you, wife. The same thing goes to you, employee to employer. The same thing goes to us. So we are carrying something completely different to the marketplace. We are carrying something to the society. What society have not seen before. So we see, if we say then that Christianity is about emergence of good men across the globe, we have not said anything that was outrageous. But do you know, a lot of us don't live in this consciousness. A lot of us still live after the order of our rotten nature. We still live as if we are not born again. We still live after the order of the old man. But the Bible is saying that we must put off the old man. We must put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the nature of Christ. So he said, if you love only those who love you, what good is that? Verse 47. And if you salute only your brethren, do you do more than others? Do not even the publicans do so? So he said, be ye perfect. Therefore, be ye perfect like your father who is in heaven. So this is a challenge to our nature. 
So God is saying, this good man operates after the order of the nature of God. This is what we are looking at. You understand? This is what the Bible expects of us. You are recreated, brethren. You are no more a Yoruba man. You are no more a Nigerian. You are not a Canadian. You are not an American. You are not, you understand? You, you are not an Asian. You are not. You, you, you are a Christian. You are a child of God. You are a citizen of heaven. You are a good man. We are good men from heaven to this rotten world. And we are to showcase the fact that we, we are the light of, you know, of Christ to this world. And the Bible says, by your good works which they shall see. So we see, because we are good men, naturally, good works proceed from us. Good works proceed from us. So, in our horizontal dealings with others, in our horizontal dealings, as we interact with others, hear this then. This is what the Bible expects of us. God will have us to operate generously towards men. We are generous people. We are sacrificial. We are thoughtful. We are patient towards people. We are kind. We are merciful. We are loving. You know, we are peace loving. We are forgiving. We are courteous. We are, we are you know, we, we, we operate in tenderness. And the list continues. We are long-suffering. We are not easily, we are not irritable people. We are good we are good to our environment. In fact, the Bible calls we are the salt of the earth. We are the salt. We are the, we are the sweetening agent. We are the one that brings peace everywhere we go. We are peace lovers. But you know, most of the time, we don't operate like this. We are not conscious of this. See, Christianity is this. This is our riches. This is the riches God is sharing with us. The riches of his goodness. The riches of his kindness. You see, before you got born again, as far as this world is concerned, God has shared with you the riches of his works, of his hands. The works of his hand, the riches of that. And so we enjoy the sun, the works of his hand. You enjoy the rain. You enjoy all the animate and the inanimate and the material resource of this world. These are works of God's hand. You enjoy the plant. You enjoy the animal. You enjoy everything as far as this world is concerned. Powerful. God is gracious. God is good. He gives us all things freely to enjoy. But there's another dimension of riches. This is the highest. This is what God has called you to. The riches of his love. The riches. Look look at it. Look at it. Romans and chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Let me show you some riches here. Let me show you some riches here. Look at it. Verse 4. Or despise thou the riches of his goodness. See, this is high level of riches. You see, when we, we you know, we, we talk about physical properties, physical riches, then we talk about intellectual properties, intellectual, those have to do with your mind, your soul. But also there is what is called spiritual riches. The, you see, this is the highest. This is what God is sharing with us in his Christ. Look at it. The riches of his goodness, of his forbearance, of his long-suffering. God is rich in goodness. God is rich in forbearance. God is rich in long-suffering. God is rich in love. God is rich in mercy. Look at it. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at it. Verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy... 
at this level, silver and gold has failed. If you read Psalm 49, he said, For your silver and gold cannot redeem your people, in as much as you are redeemed, not with silver and gold. They are failed. So we are talking of the highest level where God shares with us Himself, His own very nature. But that is only brought to us in a receivable form in Christ. Bible says God has given us eternal life. This life is in his son. This is a promise. Titus chapter 1 verse 2. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. God is rich in mercy. Look at it verse 7. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Let me say something. A lot of us despise God's grace. You see, when you hear uh, people talk about God's grace, they talk about all of, you know all this grace preacher, all of this teaching grace, grace, and you know, as if grace is give ground for licentiousness and things like that. If you understand the grace of God, you know that all the transaction of God with you is on the basis of His the riches of His grace, and we have never. We, we don't even know the, the enormity, the gravity of the grace of God. That what is still the grace of God want to bring for us, eyes have not seen, ears have not had it. Look at what he says. That in the ages to come, not now, there are treasures that is coming. There are technologies. There are things that will blow your mind. See, we, we can't even capture it. We can't even. He said that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. What grace of God is bringing to the table is massive. It's more than what you can think. And God has called us to partake of this. The riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. See, God did, you are not just God, you didn't just get born again. Are you getting that? Just for you to eat bread, for you to come by in life. It's beyond all those things. Thank God for that. Can I even shock you? Without even coming to Christ, God is magnanimous. He's allowing those things to work for man. At this, See, when Jesus comes, the coming of Jesus is to take us beyond those things and bring us to the level whereby you and I, we are fraternizing with God himself. Christ has become the ultimate gain to you. Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter, that I might gain Christ, that I might gain him, not gain things. So it is in this that the goodness of God is made manifest. The good men truly have oppression. Okay, look at it, Romans chapter 12. So let's begin to look at the practical implication of this, Romans 12 now. We begin to look at the practical implication of the new nature we have received. Okay, look at it from verse 17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. This is to the, see, the people is addressing here. It's not just any man. It's addressing this new species of men. And if you read Romans 12, it's, it's first tell you to yield your, you know, to present your body as living sacrifice. This is now your cooperation with God on the basis of what he has done in Christ. And then this, there is now a renew of your mind so that our mind will not negate what our spirit man is informing us. So that our mind, our mind, our soul will be an expression of the life that our spirit man is releasing. So that there can be an harmony. You know, the Bible said that God will sanctify you holy, spiritual body, so that there is a complete alignment, accurate arrangement of your spiritual body. Your spirit is a life giver to your soul. Your body only expresses what your soul is saying, and your soul doesn't contradict what your what the life giver in your spirit is giving out. 
So you see, it said, recompense to no man evil for evil. He's now challenging these people. He's talking to, this is not Lydia Odushote as a Yoruba man. He's not talking to Lydia. He's not talking to you as a Canadian. He's not talking to you as, you know, as a black man. He's talking to you as a man from heaven. This is a new species of man we are addressing here. That that man, this good man, cannot, must not recompense to no man evil for evil. Now he said, no man, no man, no man evil for evil. No man, you must not. No matter what anybody does to us, what we owe people is love. Now this is high life. It's unreasonable. It's not, see, it contradicts our fallen nature. It contradicts our natural life. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Let's go on, verse uh, 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, said the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy, what? Hunger, feed him. If he test, give him drink. For in doing so, you shall heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, because this is the only, this is the only way we live in our kingdom. We don't cause. We don't pay people back in their coin. The Bible says, bless I say, curse not. You don't, we don't, see, anything negative and evil must not proceed out of us again. And this is what makes this thing uh, the power of God driven. This is what makes it spirit-empowered living. It is now the spirit of God at work, making it possible in your life. This is the basis of powerful marriage among Christians. This is why your husband will enjoy you. Why? You are a Christian. You are yielded to this. You can't deny him of sex anymore. You can't use sex as a punishment to him because you are a good wife. You are a good wife because you are a good man. You are a good man because you have the nature of Christ. Can you imagine? This is why you can't torture your wife despite her behavior. You can't deprive her of her right because you can't retaliate. You don't pay evil for evil anymore. Parent to children, children to parents. All of us, what people, what we all people now is good. Like there is a good man. I must be good to my workers. Even when they can't fight back, the nature of God in me forbid cheating them. Forbid being on fear. Oh gosh. How we need, how we need a regeneration and understanding. Look at something. Acts and chapter 11. Acts 11. Let me just give you these two uh, examples of this guy. You know, I like this guy. Acts 11, verse 22. Look at these saints of God. Acts 11. Uh, this, in this place now, revival has, you know, has broken up. Church of God is growing and a lot of things are happening. At Antioch, a lot of things are happening. So they sent this servant of God. Verse 22. Then then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem wow and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch so they sent this servant of God one of them Barnabas verse 23 who when he came and has seen the operation of God in the amid the grace of God was glad he was excited and exhorted them all. He encouraged the church. He fired them up. And that with purpose of heart. See, I, I want to encourage you. You are hearing me. That with purpose of heart, you must follow the Lord. This with purpose of the Lord, they will cleave to the Lord. It's one thing to be born again. It's another thing to cleave to Jesus. And say, Jesus, you are my life. 
You are the reason of my existence. Anywhere you go, at work, anywhere you want to make Jesus known. In your allegiance and commitment to Jesus, you're going to work. You are an asset to your organization. You are going to give your best as a servant of Christ. The spirit, you see, what regulates how we work is now different. We are children of God. We are citizens of the kingdom. We are good carpenters. We are good doctors. We are good lawyers. Not just for the salary, the emolument, but because that's our nature. In, in, you see, in, in serving the master, you see, in, in, in Ephesians chapter 6, he said, doing the will of God from your heart, working with good spirit as servant of Christ. Look at it, verse 23. Who, when he came, sorry, verse 24, he said, with purpose of that, they will cleave to the Lord, verse 24. For he was a good man and full of Holy Ghost and faith and much people was added unto the Lord. Bible says he helped them so much. I want to ask you, when you come to a place, when you are sent to a new place as a child of God, do you help them much? If you're a teacher and you come to a new school, are you going to help those students much? Can we say you're a good man? Will they say what a good man they sent? Will, will the family of that man you marry, the family of that woman, you, will they say this is a good man? Good man. Can I say you're a good man to that neighborhood? Will they say that of, of you? But you know one of the things I saw about this guy. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of Holy Ghost and of faith. See, if we are not full of Holy Ghost, that means we'll be f- you are full of yourself. And the reason why many of us don't operate in goodness, even though potentially we are good men, is because we are full of self. We don't full of the Holy Spirit. We are full of ourselves. And if you are full of yourself, you won't manifest the nature of Christ. Because goodness is the nature of Christ. And it's until you are full of the Holy Spirit that it can become a practical working. And then of faith, there is this dependence on God. On his judgment, on his goodness, on his power, on his wisdom, on his love. You see, if you don't depend on the good of goodness of God, if you don't know that God is good, God is powerful, God is all wise, God is all knowing, you will take loss into your hand. You will retaliate. You will be you will be given to worry. You will be given to anxiety. You will be absorbed in yourself. But when you have this reckless abandonment to God on God and you abandon your life to God, you know underneath is everlasting and, and God is in charge of your life, then you know that what you owe people is good. Amen. You know, the Bible says that be not overcome with evil. Let me show you something in First Peter and chapter 4, I guess. I think there's a scripture like that that will help us. Look at it. Uh, look at it. Here yeah, is it. Verse 19. He said, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their soul to him in well doing. The word well doing here is a faith life. See, I do well because I know God is in charge. As unto a faithful creator, he will keep you. Stop retaliating. You see, when we retaliate, when we pay people back in their coin, it's because we are being the judge and you are retaliating. And you are avenging yourself. And it's a sign of faithlessness. Let God be God. Leave things for God. Trust God. Go back home and pray and say, Lord, something happened between me and this guy. Lord, I was really pained. But Lord, I don't want to take law into my hand. Lord, have your way, O God. Help us. Help us both. Help that man too. Leave things to God. Let God in his own wisdom and judgment be the navigator, the aggressor of things. 
And this is when then you can see this person the following day and then you will still greet the person. You will still extend your goodness. Do you know it's not virtuous? Even in natural sense, is it really virtuous to be good only to those who are good to you? That's sentimental. That's a low life. But against all odds, I am good to those who are not good to me. Then that's virtuous. I'm depending on the, you know, on the, on the on the goodness of Christ, Jesus on the cross while he was being crucified, even at the height of the pain. Nothing negative they could could they elicit. It was the same Father forgive them for they know what they do. When they were stoning him, beating him, buffeting him while he was carrying, even the Bible says in his breath, in his thought, he did not threaten them. And the Bible says, "Be walk in his steps." We should be good people. Now this is tough. This is this is an impossible life in ourselves, but it's only made possible in in Christ. For with men, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. So this is the call. Okay. So God has called us to this. Look at something in First Thessalonians. Wow. Time has really, really, and I really want to end this message. I just have to end this message today. We are not taking to next week. First Thessalonians and chapter. Uh, let me show you now. First, there's a scripture like that, verse 15. It says, See that none render evil for evil unto any man. Kai. See, see, you must not render evil for evil. Now, this is a tough life. This is an impossible demand. But it's possible because you have the nature. You have the power. You have the might. And where you think you don't have, go and pray. Depend on God. Jesus knew what he came here to do. When he found that it was difficult, he went to Gethsemane to pray. And in the place of prayer, he was energized. He was quickened. After that, despite they did all manner to Jesus, they could not elicit any evil from him. Because from that point on, he was, he was a custodian of goodness. And this is what God has called us to. Okay. See that none render evil for evil. But ever follow that which is good, ever, wow, ever, both amongst yourself and to all men. Galatians 6, look at what he says. Galatians 6, wow, we begin to, we are looking at the practical implications of this now. Practical implication. Okay, look at the implication. Look at it, verse, verse 10, Galatians 6, 10. As we have therefore opportunity. As God give you opportunity, and God is going to present it. God is going to showcase the opportunity. That man that you don't like, is going, you're going to come across his path. And you'll be, God will, you see, you'll be in the position to help that person. And God is watching whether you will help. You see, when you don't help, you are still saying, evil is reigning in your life. That's what you are telling God. You are still saying that the high life of Christ is not what you celebrate. You see, what we celebrate in the kingdom of God is not money. It's not material thing. It's these things. You're saying that you made money, but by the time we look at how you made that money, you are not a good person. You cheated people. You cut off the rights of people. You did shoddy work along the path. You didn't pay people what you're supposed to pay them. You deprived people of their life. You, you, you see, look at what goes on globally. A lot of companies are milking people. If you look at conditions of service, you know that this is excruciating slavery. This is modern day slavery. But because people don't have choice. And you now people now in mind you see billionaires you see millionaires and we are thinking that people are rich but by the time we see let's go down the let's go down the chain of how money is made for them then you will know whether we are truly good whether that man is truly rich you see god is looking at all the means by which things is coming to you and i he's looking at all the means 
Okay, so he said, having therefore, but let us do good to all men, to all men. And he gave an emphasis, especially those who are in the household of faith. Let your goodness begin from the church. Do you know we have a lot of Christians that hate fellow Christians? They don't even relate with them. When they go to church, after service, they dash to the door. They go. They are not generous to fellow Christians. When the Bible says that you have been, you know, you have, you have been born again unto the unfailing love of the brethren. The Bible says, let us love one another fervently. Let us do good to fellow saints. Jesus said, by this shall all men know you are my disciples. When you love fellow saints. Do you love fellow saints? When they offend you, can you accommodate? Can you easily forgive without even taking notes? Some of us, you're, you see, you find it so difficult to forgive people. What is the problem? Have you not received forgiveness? Are you telling me that you're actually poor more than what we see? It's time to enjoy the riches of Christ as you release forgiveness out there. So he said, having therefore opportunity, let us do good to all men. Let us be generous to all men. Be kind to us people. That's what you owe people. Stop dealing with skin color. Go beyond that. That's the low life. Go beyond that. Man is man. We, we are made from one blood. Praise God. Start dealing with all. It, it, you know, regardless of their social class. Regardless of who they are. What you owe all men on your part is love. Your love, you understand, must be objective. Your love must be you dependent. It must depend on your person. And your person is shaped by Christ. So not the demand. All this low level of Christian life that all of us are living. It's high time we come up yonder. It's high time we come to high life in Christ Jesus. And begin to appreciate the depth of the love of Christ. Which, you know, which transcends all reasonable knowledge. All understanding. Praise God. Psalm 112. Psalm 112. Wow. Psalm 112. Verse 5. Good men. How, how good. How, you know, how goodness is really what oil, you know, like a oil, lubricating oil, help human transaction across the globe. One good tongues, deserving another. And sometimes it doesn't come to you, it comes to another. So be it. But ultimately, whatever good we are doing, all senior of God is seeing it and God is taking note of it. Rewards await all of us at the day of judgment. So for some of us will feel, I've really done good. I've really lived for people. I've really done it. It's as if God has not rewarded you. No, all your operation is not going unnoticed. All the reward of our operation will not come on this side. A lot of it is on that side. So don't grow weary. Don't be weary in well-doing. In due season, we shall reap if we faint not. Don't be weary. It's your nature. We have no alternative. That's the only way we live. Psalm 1, 1, 2, verse 5. Look at it. A good man showeth favor. So you're a favorable man. You, you See, I see things in the church. Everybody's asking for favor. God will favor me this year. Why don't you say God will make you a favor for somebody this year? Is that not more powerful? Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed. It's more virtuous to be generous to people than to wait for somebody to come and give to you. Thank God, God, we, people will give to us, but is your soul going to be fasting to those things that you know how to redistribute? Are you going to do that? Are you the only one that good things are good for? No. You and I as good steward, we are redistributor of God's goodness, and so we're going to do that. A good man showeth favor and lendeth and giveth. He gives, he's generous. He's looking for a way to make life good for others. 
So, to be good to others is to seek their progress, to seek their advance, to even to that stranger that you don't know. Do you know all your friends today are once strangers to you? Anybody you call your friend was once a stranger. Do you know that? So, why then must you not be good to anybody on your path? Listen, brethren, what you owe everybody on your path is goodness. Whether you will never meet that person again, it doesn't matter. You have not wasted that action. It's, a, it's good and noble. That's what God created, how God created our world. A good man showed favor and lend it. He will guide his affairs with discretion. He will be discreet, guide his affairs with discretion so that he will not waste resources. So that he can have enough resources and he can altruistically redistribute and be generous. Look at it. Verse, still talking about that good man, verse 9. He has dispersed that good man. He has dispersed. He has given to the poor. He's generous. His righteousness endure forever. His horn shall be exalted with honor. He's good to all. In Proverbs 13 20, 22, he said, A good man leaves inheritance for his children's children. He's, he's not wasteful. He pra- he's simple. He practices prudence. And it, it thinks of others. He even thinks of the unborn children. It's transgenerational with his goodness. Some of us live today. We don't care what happened to the upcoming generation. We don't care. We are too narrow-minded. We are too today-to-day conscious. Like many African leaders. Is it only Africa? Global leaders. We're just today conscious alone. Me, 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 me. No, you must break forth from those confines, you know, of, of little way to live. Become richer and better than who you are. Look at it. I just have one or two, three, and then I'm done. Merciful. The good man is merciful. I'm just taking some little practical experiences. You know, there was something that happened recently uh, in Nigeria. This guy, you know, you, you, you know he sells a orc. And he sells pure water like that back in Nigeria, you know, where you have traffic. The guy sells pure uh, bottled water to people. And then this guy saw some inmates, you know, being taken, you know, to the correctional home. And then from the generosity of his heart, he was ready to share 100, 100 naira with those inmates. Somebody saw it, took the pig that you mean with the meager amount you have, you are ready to share. That's the goodness of his own heart. That's just him. And the whole thing went viral. We all know, some of us, those of us who hear news, how somebody now had and put him on scholarship and a lot of money has come into his life. Even after that, he was told of this guy, he was said of that, that he still went back to meet his contemporary there to see shares of money with him. That's good act. That's generosity. Of course, I might not know the totality of his operation, his nature and everything that informs that. But what I'm saying, the ascent of God, if truly we have the nature of God, things like this must become common with us. It must become common with saints, with Christians. But do you know they are strange to us in the church? They are strange. Everybody's just jostling for what is in it for me. If you hear testimony of Christian, it is how I got this, how God did this for me, how it is me, 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 everything. What of how you did? Do you plan this year that you are going to up your game in giving? Do you have it in mind? Is it your vision that this year, Lord, my giving, may it increase? May I give more? May I give out more? May I forgive more? May I bless more? May I show more mercy? Why is it just you and I? You, that, that good man is not me, what? That good man is us, what? He look outward. That's the good man. 
The good man is less concerned about himself. He's concerned about others. And that is the work that God has called us to. That is the way Jesus lived. And that is how you too can live well. The Bible says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that for all his all he was in heaven, all the glories or everything, he set them aside, took the nature of man, and he came and is good to all. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good. Do you know, he didn't just do good, healing the sick and everything. Ultimately, he laid down his life as the only good and wise thing to do for the redemption of you and I. Wow, what an example. What a what a perfect savior. What a perfect master to follow. But we can't follow him in our energy. We only follow him because he is now at work in us and we can respond to him as he work out his working in us by his spirit. Praise God. Let's just look at these two scriptures and then we are done. Luke, Luke chapter 6. So again, I challenge you this evening, you are a good man, sis. You are a good asset. You are a good man. Say to yourself, I'm a good man. Say it. I can hear you saying, say, I'm a good man. And what God expects of me is goodness towards all. I will do, I will not do less. I am a good man. I am, I'm not an evil man. Evil does not produce. I will not cause. I will not, I will not give evil. I will not give wickedness. I will not be unjust to no man on earth. God is going to help me. Kindness, mercy, forgiveness. Courtesy, goodness, love, patience, long-suffering, understanding, thoughtfulness towards others. That's what you owe people. Meanness, no, no way for us. Causing harm is a no for us. We are good people. And this is where we're going to live. So to your organization, see, I can say this by default. Your organization already has plus one asset. You are the asset. I can say this. Our world already has a game. You are the game. This is the, I believe this strongly. It's a belief system I carry. Anywhere I go, I am a plus. Because I'm a Christian. Christ is a plus to our world. And I'm representing him. So it's not about me. It's about him and his interest. Luke 6.35 You are a plus. You are an asset. You are a good man. You are not looking for a way to cause pain. Verse 35 But love you, your enemies. And do good and lend, hoping for nothing. We are good. The reason why we give is not because we are expecting something. You see, today's pastors, we encourage you only to give so that you can get. So, so that something can come. That's not virtuous. We give because we have received. We give because that's our nature. Who gives back to God when God gave us his only begotten son? What do, what do we give back to him? No. It is not blessed to give. So, you are a good guy. You give. Verse 36. Verse 36, be ye therefore merciful, or be ye therefore good, as your Father in heaven is merciful. Be merciful to people. Be merciful. Be tender-hearted. Be, be slow to getting angry with people. Leave people. Be, see, give people room. Let them make mistakes around you. Accommodate people's shortcoming. Accommodate offenses. It won't see all the fight and anger you have you have meted out in the past. Has it done anything? So cool down. Stop getting angry. Anger rests in the bosom of fools. The, see, the Bible said the discretion, the wisdom of a man defies his anger. Push your anger to a future that will never come. But let your goodness always be in celebration every day. 
Let people come to your space and let them get the aroma of Christ, the perfume of heaven, the spiritual aroma that you carry everywhere you go as a good man, as a king, as, as a citizen, as a Christ ambassador, an ambassador of Christ to that world. It is in this that you can reach out, you understand, to others, so those who are here to be saved and that you can bring them to Christ. Because ultimately, that's the ultimate good you must give to people. You want them to be born again. Praise God. Lastly, okay, I have two more. Jeremiah, uh, James chapter 3. James chapter 3. James chapter 3 and verse 13. Wow. I want to believe you have learned one or two things. You pray for people. A good man pray for others. A good man pray for his enemies. You go there sincerely. With all sincerity, Father, I'm committing this man unto you. My boss. I'm committing. I'm asking, oh God, that you will yet help him, oh God. You are doing that. Who is a wise man? I want to put, who is a good man? J James chapter 3, 13. Who is a wise man or good man? Endued with knowledge among you. Let him show it out of good conversation. Show that you are wise out of good conversation. The way you deal with people. Let it be good. You understand? Let it be, you are dealing with discretion. With thoughtfulness. His good work, his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and strife in your heart, glory not, lie not against the truth. This wisdom descended not from above, but is utterly sensual and devilish. Stop operating in utterly wisdom, sensual and devilish. Any wisdom that makes you to be mean, that makes you to shout, that makes you to fight, you fight with ease. Stop it. Stop it. Bible says, let him that stole steal no more. And I challenge you, let him that fight, fight no more. Let him that find it difficult to forgive, let him stop. You stole, Bible says, let him that stole steal no more. Stop stealing. Stop cheating people. Stop causing pain to our world. No, that's not our nature. We are good people. What we owe people is their progress. We seek it. Praise God. For where there is envy, and strife, and there's confusion on every evil work. Any wonder there's confusion on our globe. There's every evil work on our globe. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, peaceable. You must be peace loving, gentle with people, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Wow. We are not hypocrites. We are good people. This is who we are. Finally, Colossians chapter 4. So all this dissolve into all our operations everywhere, anywhere we get to. There is no zone you get to that is no more holy ground. Every ground of your operation is sacred. You deal with people with sacredness. See, we, we all use bulk of our time in the marketplace, in the workplace. Listen, we want to see the demonstration of the kingdom of God in our operation in the marketplace. I remember Martin Luther telling one guy who was a shoemaker in his time, telling him, the guy asked him, what do I do now, now that I'm a Christian? He said, make good shoes and sell them at fair price. That's good, man. That's goodness. Make good shoes. Bring good quality to the market. Let people, not, let people have value for their money. And be fair in how much you sell it. Don't just be, don't be in profiteering. Be, be, be good. Give back to what people. See, we, we must just up our game in our conscience. When a time when conscience is completely being slaughtered all over the place. Where the connect between our head or our mind and our heart. That connect the distance is so far. We need to bridge it in Christ. There must be that bridge. When everything must operate in, you know, one sum, you know, in that oneness, 
that your heart, the navigation center of your head or your mind is intact. I close it Colossians 4.1. Masters, give unto your servant that which is just and equal. Be fair in your salary in giving to people. Knowing that you too have a master in heaven. You have a master who is going to reward you. We have a master. We can't afford in the marketplace to be cruel. To just be me and me and my and my interest alone. No. Yes, I know. We might not be able to solve all the global problem. Because God has not even called to do that. But God has called to represent the kingdom of his son. But in that representation, many will have the gain on our part. For those few that you are going to model Christ, let them have a different experience of God through us. And if going to have a global impact, why not? Let it have it. But as much as possible, in your personal allegiance to Christ and in your obeisance and submission to his lordship and the spirit of God at work in you, let his nature rule and reign. Galatians 2.22 says, And the fruit of the spirit are this. So let's operate and flow in these things. Brethren, this thing might not be as simple as I've taught it, but it becomes simple as you spend time with God on a daily basis. That's why we cultivate. That's why we pray. See, we don't just pray for bread. We're also praying for him as our bread. We're praying, we're saying that Christ fill us, that we might be filled with him, that our, our heart might be fired up with him. We might be strengthened by his, you know, with might, by his spirit in our inner man. We might have the staying power. We might be empowered by His Spirit to live and please Him with our lives. So we are praying. We are studying the Scriptures. We are listening to sound message. So message like this, you don't just listen to it once. You listen again and again. You get solid messages. You, you put message around your life. Smartphones are there for you to become smart spiritually. So everywhere you go, you're just going to look for a venue whereby you're going to grow in Christ so that you can model it. Brethren, God has called us to a higher life. Let's not jettison the calling. For things that will not last. Let's know this. Our life today, time ticks, is going to come to an end sometime, someday in the nearest future. What will be your take when you go back to your father in heaven? I think it is wise for you to know this, that the only noble thing that you should expect, that you should long for, that before your God, your Father in heaven, that will be said of you, welcome home, faithful servant. You did represent us well. May that be your narrative. May the Lord strengthen you with might by spirit in your inner man in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is how far we're going to go with the good man and his goodness. Our time is really far, far spent. And I think it's worth it. Let's just pray with this scripture. Write it down and pray with it. Just write it down and pray with it. Let this scripture consume your heart. You know, let it consume your heart. Take this thing far. The Lord will help us in Jesus' name. I pray that the Lord God of heaven will yet count you worthy of his calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness in your life, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified in your life, and you too in him, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 3, that's why I close, and I will pray this prayer. 
Okay, verse 16. And I'm praying, and you are praying with me, that the Lord will grant you according to the riches of his glory. Father, I am praying for these people hearing this message and for those who will still hear it. You will grant them according to the riches of your glory that they will be strengthened with might by your spirit in their inner man. I am praying that Christ will dwell in their hearts, in our hearts by faith, O God, that we being rooted, we being grounded in, in love, we may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and the height of your love, and that we may know the love of Christ, which exceed and passeth all understanding, that we might be filled with the, all the fullness of God. In the name of Jesus. Lord, I ask, oh God, that you perfect your works in us. That truly will represent you. Everywhere we go, we will bring the light of Christ there. We will win some. We will model life of Christ to some. By all means, help us, oh God. That through us, men will see us. They will see our good works and they will glorify you. I pray for many couples here that will listen to this. May that woman be an asset and a blessing and a good and a virtuous and glorious woman to her husband. And the same for the husband. The same for that businessman. May your conscience not permit you to cheat your workers anymore. May your conscience hold you accountable to Christ. That no, these salaries must be reviewed. The pain is too much for this woman. The pain is too much for this man. May you be one of those people alleviating the pain of many. May you be one of those people fighting for the fatherless. Being there as God's representative to our world, ravished with pain. May you be among those who are succoring many lives, both in the church of God and outside the church. Lord, I ask, O oh God, that you yet raise us as good men, as assets to our world, to the world around us, to the to to that microcosm of a people that we find ourselves in Jesus' name. Thank you so much, Lord. Lord, we are grateful. Lord, we are grateful. We are grateful. We are grateful. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you for your loving kindness. Thank you for that which you share with us. And thank you for that those riches that you want us to share with all men. May your riches truly find expression to us through us to all in Jesus' name. Father, we are grateful, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. Praise God. Wow. This is how far we can take this, and we are going to take this for today. I know our time is really fast spent, and I think it's worth it. It's really, I don't want to take, extend this to next Sunday, because I have something new altogether that I want to share with us. I want to believe you have learned one or two things. One of the things you do is, let's share this message with your friends. Just share it. Go to our YouTube channel, share the message, and what? Subscribe for this page, because something massive is always coming your way. I have some teaching again tomorrow. You know, with praying child tomorrow, Wednesday, and a question at Q&A on Thursday on finance. You will see, there are some things you will hear that Thursday on question and answer. I can bet you it will change your life. You will be blown apart. Try it. Just come, you know. And I say this with all humility of how that something massive awaits you. In any case, per adventure, you can make it. Join us again next week, this same time, you know, until that time. Keep watching strong in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, you are a good man and you are on the path of goodness to all on your path. Make sure that none test evil 
because you have no evil to give to none. The only thing you owe all men is good, which proceed from love of God in your heart. God bless you. Do have a great week ahead of you. Thank you. God bless you. I think quite many of us know this already. And for everyone that will be hearing this, but it's just a way to create a balance in our Christian journey as we interface with things earthly. As saints of God, as children of God, we don't just mind heavenly things even though that's what we set our minds on, we still interact with earthly things. And there must be that balance. Otherwise, we just find that um, somehow we are drifting apart. In fact, we are drifting away from our primary calling. And I'm just trusting God that God will help us again tonight in Jesus' name. Okay, let us pray. Father, we thank you again. We thank you for your word that has that inherent power supplied by your spirit to liberate us, to give us that balance, to give us that resilience, that power, that ability that staying power to continue in that which you have called us into in your son. Thank you because we are being established in this truth and we are growing into you in all things. I ask, oh God, again that this message will contribute greatly to our growth and to our establishment in Christ. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. Praise God. Okay, so tonight I'm talking to us about the wise pilgrim. The wise pilgrim. So that the, the opposite of that will be the foolish what? Pilgrim. Of course, we all know the person that's we all know whom a pilgrim is. Somebody on pilgrimage. Somebody on a journey in a foreign land. And of course, he's in that land with a sense not of settlement. He knows that he's just there temporarily. And soon, he has to return to his original country. That is pilgrimage. Except... You are from some part of the some part of the world. When you go on pilgrimage and then you bolt away, and they can't find you again, like some Nigerians we do. I only hope a Christian will not bolt away into the world, and they won't find you again. You will still know that you are from, you know, you are from above. Okay, so we are looking at the wise pilgrim. Now let's just read one or two scriptures that will help us this evening. Let's look at some saints, the attitude they had. Hebrews and chapter 11. 
Hebrews 11 and 13. This all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. So these people lived with an attitude that they did not have continuing city on earth. So they live with that attitude of circumspection. They were so conscious of the country that truly be, they truly belong to that they could not be bound to this world in the attitude of their hearts. Now look at another scripture, First Peter in chapter 2. And verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. You remember those guys said with their attitude that they were what? Strangers and pilgrims. And the Bible is saying that we too, you know, Paul, uh, you know, Peter is saying, I'm begging you as strangers because you are not of this world. And, the, you know, the spirit of this age, you know, we just finished worldliness, must not consume us, you know. You and I must stand aloof. We must not be consumed by the spirit of this age. So, I beseech you as strangers. We are strangers in the sense that we are not of this world. Pilgrims in the sense that we are passing through this world. We are just here for a while. This is not your home. Nigeria is not your home country, nor U.S., nor Canada, nor any country. No matter the beauty of that place, you are just a pilgrim. You are passing through. You will soon leave this place. And there are two main, you know, there are two means by which we're going to exit this place. Either of the one, either we die, or Jesus comes and takes us away. You remember? Either we pass on, we live this way, or we live this world by the reason of death. Or Jesus comes and then in rapture you are taken away. Either of the two, you are going to get out of this world. This is not your world. Here we have no continuing city. We, according to his promise, will look for a different country. We look for that country whose maker and what is God. Okay, where is it now? As pilgrims, because we are passing through abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. Okay. Now, but what I'm bringing out is the fact that we are pilgrims. We are here for a while and we will soon get out of this place. And this thing must sink into us and must influence and shape our own operations. You must know that you are a stranger and you are on pilgrimage. Okay, now let's do one more scripture. First Peter now and chapter 117. And if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons, judge it according to every man's work, past the time of your sojourning here in fear. We are sojourners. We are sojourning or we are staying here for a while 
or another word is a pass the time of your pilgrimage yeah in fear so you're on pilgrim sorry you're on pilgrimage you are a pilgrim you are here for a while that's why at the end of the day there is nothing you build here that can ever be yours forever you are going to leave everything because this is not your world this is not yours now we've said all this to say where we're going now what i want to bring to us tonight is really something that is not i don't want to expand i want to narrow down in the sense that on one hand you are a, <clears throat> you are a citizen of god's kingdom you are a child of god you are a christian you are a citizen of heaven on one hand you belong to the kingdom of heaven you have been translated from the kingdom of this world from the kingdom of darkness and you and i have been translated to the god's you know own kingdom the kingdom of his own dear son you are there now and you are seated with him in heavenly places that's the reality but there's another reality and that is the fact that you still have a body of flesh you still have this artillery suit and by that you live on earth you are in this world and you are going to be involved with the things of this world you are going to be involved with artillery things but you see while you are involved with artillery things our involvement must be as pilgrims we are involved in things earthly from this reality. I am a pilgrim. So when I build a house, because I'm a human being, I'm going to be involved with human things, things earthly. But my involvement must not distract me from the primary reason of my being here. Are we together? You should know that there is a reason for being here. In fact, your being here or our being here is not on our own terms. It's on the terms of the one who saved us and bought us with his own blood. You know, the Bible says as much as you are redeemed, you know you are not redeemed by what? Silver and gold. But you are redeemed. You are bought. By what? By his blood. You are now God's purchased possession. You do not belong to yourself, nor to no man. Do you get that? But the same God who saved us, left us here. To keep us by his power. To keep us by the word of truth. Now we are here to do his bidding, to execute his pleasure, to be found in his purpose, to advance his cause, to live for him, to walk worthy of him. Everything is now God's word. See, everything about us has been redefined. Now you don't know that 
when you receive Jesus into your heart, but now as students of the scriptures, the scriptures is now unfolding or revealing to us realities that shapes your new existence. That shapes, you understand, our new life in Christ. That now in Christ, you are a citizen of God's kingdom. Left in this world as pilgrims. Left here to be here for a while. Now that while can be 40 years. Can be 30 years. Can be 20. Can be 50. Can be 60. Now none of us has any, you understand, you cannot say categorically, objectively, with certainty that I'm going to spend 60 years here. You don't have that. You don't take that. God has not given us that prerogative. That is exclusively God's. You see, in Pentecostal church, we say some things as if you are the architect of your life. You are the one that defines how your future will be by your confession and by all those things. Yes, I understand. But you see, you can only confess things that the scripture says about us as saints that your heart may agree that will facilitate the entrance or the harmony you understand or the you know the alignment of your heart with that truth but how our life will turn out to be as far as tomorrow is concerned you know is you know is exclusively god's okay so we are now here to spend certain time. But while we are here, we live with this sense, I am a pilgrim. I'm here for a while. It will soon be over. I will soon leave this place. 1,000 years is like one day. Are you getting that? So, if you are going to spend 80 years, if 1,000 years is like one day, then your 80 years is like what? One minute. So you should know that. You should not be overtly obsessed with longevity, but you should be consumed with quality of living per second. In fact, that's what the Bible has for us. For 1,000 days, it's like what? 1,000 years, like one day, and one day is like what? 1,000 years. What God is simply saying is that be qualitative in your lifestyle. Live qualitatively. Don't be concerned about how long, be concerned about how well. Maximize each moment. Live circumspectly. Redeeming the days, redeeming the time. You understand? Buying back the moment. Seizing the moment to see to it that God's pleasure prosper in your hands. That's how we should live. But now... That we are here as God's people. We are involved in those things that are, you know, that pertains to men. Things earthly. You are involved. But you see, your involvement must not exclude nor distract you from your primary reason for existence. We do not exist as believers to do human things. We do not exist. 
you are not born again, you understand, to be what? To be primarily consumed with what the Gentiles or nations are consumed with. No. You primarily exist in order to discover and to execute his pleasure. And his pleasure is this, that you may conform to the image of his son. His pleasure is this, that you may walk worthy of God. His pleasure is this, that you may execute, you know, certain assignments that God has for you. And that you and I may glorify him in all things. That's our primary reason for being here. Do you get that? But you see, I believe that a lot of us Christians, we understand that. We know it. In fact, when many of us were growing up, those were the things that we were consumed with. Things heavenly. Things heavenly. And anything, those things that has to do with earthly things, we consider them as distractions. We don't want to get involved. In fact, when we do, we, get, we got involved sparingly. So, the wisdom... You understand? The, the wisdom, the technicalities that are needed in order to be involved well, we did not really get, you know, we did not master them. And it didn't help us. So in short, we can say we are not balanced in our approach. Now that balance is what I want to talk about. That as wise, you know, as pilgrims, we must be wise. You must understand the fact that you are not here primarily on your own terms, nor for yours. You are here for him. But while that is true, you are involved with earthly things. Now that involvement must be done with discretion. You must do it and you must be circumspect. Because there is a spirit that operate in this age that longs to use your involvement that which is legit to distract you from the primary reason. In other words, it is not wrong to marry. In fact, marriage is a gift of God for man or to man. Gift of God in creation. Education is what? Gift of God in creation. Do you get that? Childbearing, gift of God. Doing business, gift of God. But those things can distract you from the main thing and it seems as if they are the primary reason for our existence. No. Your primary reason for existence is not to marry. That's why if you don't marry, you have not done anything wrong. In fact, Apostle Paul said, because of his understanding of the primary reason for your own existence, you know, he said, I wish you do not marry. Because Paul got an understanding of this. But he quickly drew, you know, he, 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 you know, he put a disclaimer there. And he said, but this I will have love, but I know not all of us have the grace nor the gift to be able to cope with our marriage. Else, you will say you are doing celibacy and you are fornicating all over the place. So go and marry. But Paul knew marriage is not the reason for your existence. Are you getting that? Eating is not the reason for your existence. Wearing clothes, building houses. Are you getting that? Having cars, having the good things of this life. 
they are not the reason of our existence. And they must not be the measure of your existence. A man, hear this, in the world of dead men, when I'm talking about dead men, I mean those who are dead in trespasses and sin. We measure ourselves by the houses, the cars, the, you know, the possessions and all those stuff. Now that's good for this world. But in the kingdom, you understand, where we belong as pilgrims, we don't measure ourselves. In fact, why? See, how are you going to measure yourself by the things you have? You're a pilgrim now. You went to that country, you're going to leave that place soon. And you are considering the house. No, you, are, that's, you can't. You can't see, you, there's no sense of ownership there. You are just there for a while. You're going to leave. And you might not return to that country again forever. Can I shock you? We are here for a while. Spirit, we will not return to this country again forever. In fact, by the time everything finishes, you won't see this country again. Which country am I talking about? This world. It will dissolve. It's going to melt. Let me show you something. Second Peter. Second Peter, chapter three, and verse ten. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Everything shall be burned up. Everything here, the Bible says we burn up. Everything. 11. Seeing, knowing this. God. You see, if you know that the house you are building, there will soon be pulled down. Then why would that house be a measure of your life? Seeing that all these things shall be dissolved. Knowing that all the nations of the earth, all our marvels, all our industrializations, our what you know, our skyscrapers, our exploits, things you see, you pass away. You know, just 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 pass away. This is this is something else. But I was saying that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Twelve, looking for an esteem. Unto the coming of the day of God, where in the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. 13. Nevertheless, we, who are the we? The pilgrims. The pilgrims, according to his promise, we look for new heavens and a new earth, where in dwell righteousness. So, this is not our stopping world. This is, we are not here to stop. We don't stay here forever. Do you get that? This world will be dissolved. Now, when we know this, it, it affects how you relate and interact with this world. See, every sense of attachment and possessiveness, you understand, I'm saying, is delivered. You are delivered. You don't have to have the sense of possessiveness. At this, this is your life. Your life is no more intense, your life is no more in the fleeting. Your life is no more in the ephemerals. Your life is now in that in that which is permanent, and that which is permanent permanent is Him. It's not is. It's not these things. So we know this. These realities. 
shapes us and gives us that kind of rocky foundation so that we are not shaken by what? Tribulations. We are not shaken by whatever happens to us. If any of our loved ones pass away, you understand? We find, you know, we see, we feel the pain. We really wish none of us would go, but what shall we do? We know one of us has just gone. He's a pilgrim. He's just gone to our country. And you too, you will go there someday. But while we are here, then, brethren, this is where I'm going. While we are here, you are involved with artillery things. Now, that balance is what I want to bring out. The balance between, you understand, you're being involved and you're not being consumed. I'm involved, but I'm not consumed. Hear this. Satan will use the legit to get us. Satan has nothing new under the sun. There is nothing new. The same method. What did he use to get Eve? The same legit. Eat. As simple as eating. Eat. As simple as wearing. Wear. As simple as multiply loaves. Multiply. Legit. Normal things. Things you will not consider as anything. With the Bible, God will have us to be sensitive and to be circumspect. So I said living a balanced life between our heavenly commitment and our earthly involvement. So we are committed to heaven. You understand? In all our earthly involvement. What are your earthly involvement? You are involved in education. You are involved in marriage. You are involved in what? Heart and style. You are involved in buying and selling. In building houses. In parties. Name it. The list continues. And it's not wrong. And in fact, the Bible did not tell you that you should not be involved. You are involved. But you must not be consumed. Okay. So, I said, be wise in your involvements. Don't become irresponsibly sorry, don't become responsibly irresponsible. I will explain. And I said, don't be irresponsibly responsible. I've said two things. Your involvement in utterly things, you should be involved. But you must see to it that you do not become responsibly irresponsible. And you must, you don't what? Become irresponsibly responsible. What am I saying? Responsibly irresponsible means you are just involved with those things that God, you know, place you here primarily. And that is the things of God. You face the things of God and nothing can distract you from it. You're a responsible citizen. But by the time we start looking at actually involvement, we wonder. Now, many people around you might not even know your involvement with heavenly things. But by the time we look at actually things, 
All we can see is an irresponsible man. So how come? Oh, there's another one. You are irresponsibly responsible. When it comes to heavenly things, the things for which you are here primarily, you are irresponsible. No time for God. No time for ease. No time for Bible study. No time to knowing God. No time for prayers. No time for fellowship with other saints. No time dedicated for growth. No time. You are not conscious of that. But you are responsible when it comes to actually things. You are there. I give you thumb up. You are there in buying. You are there in selling. Your marriage is intact. Your family, you are providing money. Everything is just okay for you as far as Attila is concerned. But when we look at your heavenly, when we look at your primary reason for being here, you are, not, you are an irresponsible citizen. Now, that's not a balanced Christian life. So, we want to look at the balance. But the balance I'm tilting to is that Attila involvement. That I've seen something that for many of us as Christians... We have not seen to it that your involvement with artillery things must be with circumspection, must be with, in, must be with intentionality, must be with wisdom. You must be wise, you must be shrewd, you must be circumspect, you must have mastery of involvement. See, Christians must. Be wise in the affairs of men. Otherwise, it will affect and limit how well even your kingdom will have its advance through you. It can even distract you. Can you imagine when you come to artillery things, you can't provide for your family. Your children are not eating. Your wife is hungry. You know, your landlord wants to chuck you out. You're not going to have time for that same God. True or false? So, hear this now. Is it because you can't have the means? No, probably. Maybe because you and I have not been circumspect. And for many, it's because we have not been circumspect. We have not given it what, you understand, what is required for you to have that balance. We must not become irresponsible to the primary reason of our existence, why we long to responsibly attend to artillery things. You understand? But see this now, and in your involvement with artillery things, you must not be consumed. I am saying this to say this. The fact that many of us in this church must watch out. As we begin to, you understand, delve into more things of artillery things, Attila things is alluring, is consuming, seductive. It can suck you up. But your fear of not being sucked up by this thing must not make you to be responsible to your family. That's the balance. Now, this balance is a rock. You're going to rock between this balance till the master comes. So, at no time. You will become the Lord of your life that you think I now have it worked out. No. You will constantly depend on the Spirit of God to help you to navigate your way in the arena of commerce. Now come with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I don't know whether you have gotten something. So striking that balance. 
striking that balance. First Corinthians seven thirty two. First Corinthians seven and verse thirty two. But I will have you without carefulness, without concern, without worries. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord. How he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world. How he may please his wife. There is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy, both in the body and in, the, in spirit. But she that is married, careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I speak for your own profit. So I want to know this, so that you can maximize the new position you are finding yourself. Not that I may cast a snare upon you, but that you may what? But for that which is profitable, for that which is right, which is good, which is proper, and that you may attend upon the Lord. What? Without distraction. What is he saying? So Apostle Paul gives us a, a picture here and differentiate between two women and two men. One married, one unmarried. The virgin unmarried. The married, the wife. The virgin, the unmarried woman, cares for the things of the Lord only. No distraction. Her concern is how she may please God. So on her own, she comes to church. She can live anytime she likes. She can fast. She can pray. She can read Bible till late in the night. She can go on what missionary work you call it. Cruises save, jump for meeting upon meeting, running and chasing after God. If that will help you to know God, she's into all that. She's a virgin, she's not accountable to nobody. There's no husband waiting at home to report, there's no husband to cook for. There's nothing. The same thing for the man. There's no woman at home for you to report to. You might not come home after this meeting, the spirit just move you to continue to pray and stay back in the in this place for the you know for the for the whole night and you stay back. You know the Bible says Jesus began to pray and he prayed all night. You know he wasn't married. You know, so he just stayed back and he prayed all night. So you you two are just like that, and all of a sudden you just find yourself in a marriage, and you still want to continue in that same way. And the woman is now complaining, I didn't see you for two days. You that you are not used to telling anybody how long you're going to stay off. Now that woman is now, and you are wondering, what's this problem? There's a change. You are now getting concerned about the things of this world. You don't used to provide. If there's no food at all, you don't care. When you are alone, you just scramble for this and that you have eaten, you're going. But now there's a wife. You have to start thinking how to take care of her. The things of this world has come into your life. You never thought of that. See, if you don't get that balance, that distraction can make you to become an irresponsible Christian. That's why. Now the Bible is now saying Paul is saying, Apostle Paul is telling us that this is a reality. That once you are married, the things of this world has come into your purview. 
that you must think of. You must handle properly. It must be your concern. You will pray about it. You will labor. You will see. You will see to it that provision is made. Attention is given to those things. Otherwise, it will affect your serving the Lord. Now that you now know this is true, I must be involved. Your involvement too must not be to the extent that you are what? Consumed. Otherwise, you are distracted. So you have somebody saying, why didn't we see you? Why don't you pray? Is this marriage? Is this man? Is this children? So it has become these children, this marriage, this gift, this legit that has distracted me from serving the Lord. See what he said. And this I speak to your prophet. That are you what? Not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely. And that you may attend upon the Lord. What? Without distraction. Your primary reason for existence is what? Attending upon the Lord. Attending upon the Lord. But you see, you must marry your what? Attention or attending to the Lord. You must marry it with what? Attending to these things of this world in a balanced way so that those things doesn't distract you from attending upon the Lord. Now this is where that delicate balance is. Some Christians, or many of us, we have not been able to be able to, you know, see to it that we are balanced. It's either you so love God and your family is suffering. You are irresponsible in the matters of this life. Can you imagine I can't pay rent? My landlord is always disturbing me. My children can't go to school and they ask me what's going on. I'm a servant of God. Is that tenable? No. You see, unbelievers don't know about that. They, can, they only know what exists in the world of an unbeliever is what? This present world. And so, in this, in the affairs of, in the matters of this world, you and I must be what? Responsible. You must see to it that you are circumspect. Now, we're going to look at how the apostles, you know, the example they model for us. Now, look at Paul. Look at Paul. So, you're getting that balance. Now, you're not, you're not going to say then, because I want to prepare for my children again, I'm what? Distracted. From my primary reason. Which again some have entered. So the quest. You, are, you know you have suffered. The, you, know, you, you know you've suffered. Shame has come. Things have happened in your life. Now opportunity has come. For you to attend to the things of this world. You are just sucked up in it. And all that. All you are now telling everybody. <laughs> if they know what I've suffered. They just leave me alone. This is not time for church or anything. I don't have time for that. I, I mean if I'm talking about. You are not angry with God. Or you are angry with yourself, however you explain it. So let's look at it now. Second Thessalonians chapter 6. Second Thessalonians chapter, chapter 3, verse 6. So as pilgrims, we are not consumed with the legit that we are involved with. So we are, inv- we are getting involved in a wise way. We must be wise. We must be skillful. You must have mastery of time. Verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourself from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which 
he received of us. So the apostles gave certain traditions to the church. For you yourself know how you ought to follow us. For we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. So what is this disorderliness? What is this imbalanced life? Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day. So hear this now. Apostle Paul labored night and day. This is secular involvement. Apostle Paul here is not talking about praying. Apostle Paul here is not talking about spiritual work. Apostle Paul is talking about physical work. That we might be chargeable to no man. That we might be not what? We might not be burdensome. Or we might not be considered what? Irresponsible servants of God. So we walked. We, we see, provision was made. When it comes to things actually, we were wise. We saw it that without this, without proper responsibility, the ministry we want will be blamed. The ministry will suffer. Not because we don't have power, but to make ourselves an example unto you. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any brother, any will not walk, what? Neither should he eat. Or neither should he wear clothes. Neither should he go to school. Neither should he pay school fees. These are all the things you can slot in. If anyone will not walk. So you see, according to the tradition of the apostles, begging was not encouraged. Begging. Do you agree with me? Begging and reaching out your hand like this was not. What they, what they taught the church was to use your hand like this. To use your hand to walk. In fact, the apostles saw the primary way God provides is true work, not supernatural. That's what they taught us. They taught the church the primary way God provides is what? True work. In fact, they call that faith. They call that faith. But do you know, we can have a narrative in which you think you are doing God's work and you're not working. When you can walk. God's work is work. But that can still permit you to still do something that will still help you, you understand, bring some money while that primary assignment or that, as, you know, that ministry work is growing. So that you don't become burdensome. Now, I'm not necessarily talking about pulpit ministry. I'm talking to all Christians. That you as a believer... It must become anathema to us that you are burdensome to your family. You are burdensome to your friend. You are burdensome to your siblings. You are burdensome to anybody. It is strength to our kingdom. As you see, we as pilgrims on this side, it is strength to us. We don't operate that way. It is not part of our kingdom. So we commanded that if any man will not let him not eat. Verse 11, for we hear that there are some which work among, among you what? Disorderly. Working not at all, but they are busy bodies. You know, I've looked at it that if you say that you are just a servant of God, you're just a Christian, you're not working, you just want to, can you really pray for 24 hours? Can you really read the Bible for that? You'll be tired. Because there is still that part of your life that you are what? You are a man. How do you fulfill that? In fact, how do you relate in the arena of men? So don't be busy, boy, because that will not afford you room to start getting involved with things that are unprofitable. 
Then you start gossiping. You start reading things you should not read. Getting involved. You become a dumping ground for Satan to dump all manner of things. So he says, walking not at all, but they are busy bodies. Verse 12. Now them that are such, we command and exhort in the name of the Lord Jesus. That with quietness, what? They walk and eat their own bread. See responsibility they brought. So the apostle said, the way this ends is a what? Let every Christian be involved with what? That which is legit. Work with your hands. Make money. You understand? Provide for your family. Engage. Be in t- see, engage your intelligence. Engage your skill. Let me say this to the church. The way we make money is to engage our intelligence. Engage your skill. Engage your mind. Deploy your resources. Deploy your potentials. Yes, you're on pilgrimage. You are not consumed by the spirit that consumes men, but you see, there are legitimate things, needs that must be met. And God says, this is where I miss such. In fact, if, if you say you don't have any need, God said, go and labor because of others. Let him that stole steal no more. Let him walk with his hand that he may ask to walk to give to those who are in need. So walk for the sake of others. Apostle Paul said that this hands as minister not only to me, but also for those who are, who are in my company. So Apostle Paul could say this, I minister to many. You know, to, to today's pastor, we will say that you don't give what? You don't give down. You give up. The apostles, they gave up. Sorry, they gave down. Look at it. Second Corinthians. And chapter 12. So be a, be a wise pilgrim. Don't allow your involvement with the things here to consume you. And the fear of not being consumed by those things must not prevent you from being involved wisely. So that balance is what you need. Be involved, be not consumed. And don't allow the fear of not being consumed to prevent you from being involved, else you become an irresponsible man. That we don't do in our kingdom. For he that does not provide for himself, not for his people of his own house. There comes a time in your life you must provide for yourself. Take ownership. You can't just be calling your sibling. You can't be calling your auntie. You can't be calling your uncle. You can't just be calling all saints. Once they get your call, they're afraid. They know the things you are going to ask. You can't just get somebody's house and you're ready. You can't be asking that. Have dignity. They offer you food. You tell them no. It's not every time you go and visit somebody that you must eat. Of course, I know eating with ourselves also strengthens our relationship and helps us in that kind of camaraderie. You understand? I understand that. But you must also know times that you just say, no, for today I'm not eating. You know, you, and then sometimes you, you are the one that goes to visit, you are the one that takes food there. Take a gift along, take something along to that family. If you don't have, you won't do all that. But you see, doing that is part of our fellowship. The Bible says we ought to lay down our lives for one another. Now, how will you lay down? I would say by sharing this world to me when I don't even have it. Yet, the Bible said the way you have it by walking. So you can see, on all fronts, you have to come back to work. Now, it doesn't mean we don't believe in supernatural. I'm coming to that. Verse 14. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Behold, 
the third time I am ready to come to you. And I will not be burdensome. See the act of this servant of God. He's going to that church, going to God's people, but already from home, I will not be burdensome. Let me say this. As pilgrims, as people of our kingdom, we are not burdensome to nobody. Don't go to people's house and be burdensome. Don't enter into people's space and create burden. Don't. But when people come to your space, make their burden light. Provide for their necessary uses. Give hospitality. But you see, again, to be able to do this, you got to have. And the way you have is to walk. And to, you know, and if you are going to walk, then you had better walk what? Smartly. Do walk well then. Behold, the third time I'm ready to come to you, I will not be burdensome. For I seek not yours. Don't go to people's space and be seeking theirs. Don't seek their assets. Don't seek what they will give you. Don't seek their food. Don't seek, seek their life. Seek what you can add to them. That is Christianity. For I seek not yours, but you. I seek you. How I can add to you. And Apostle Paul added on two fronts, spiritually and materially. See what he said. For children ought not to lay off a parent, but parent for children. Here Paul was talking about what? Physical things. He wasn't talking about spiritual. Verse 15. And I will gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Now that's the problem of the Corinthian, but as far as Paul was concerned, his heart was large. Or what his heart was large, and you know, he had a broad heart towards God's people. And you and I can learn from this servant of God. Parents, by the time you grow up, don't be burdensome to your children. Children, as you are growing up, don't be burdensome to your parents. Friends, don't be burdensome on nobody. Don't be burdensome on your boss. Boss, don't be burdensome on your workers. This is Bible for us. I will not be burdensome. But while I'm not burdensome, I'm going to add to you. That's the way of our kingdom. But you see, you can only do this because you yourself, you are involved in what? In the activity of men. In the arena of men. And you yourself, you are what it takes for you to add to others. To be a blessing. See, you can't be in a family, in your Atile family, the Ogundare family that you are, and every family meeting they've ever done, they ask everybody to add, to put 5,000. 5, there was no time that you have added. You can't tell them you're a Christian, they will believe you're a good, they will say you're a bad Christian. How many of you agree with me? Your testimony is not right. It's not. So I say, eh, but I don't have no, you must have. That's what the apostles are saying. You know you are? Go and walk. Now the challenge is you are too choosy about work. They are too choosy. There are many things we can do. The globe has changed. The world has changed. Be dynamic. The only thing you must not do is to steal. Anything short of that, be creative. In fact, the real deal of what you really love to do is coming as you start to do what you don't even like to do. Start with that. All that matters to you is that I will not beg, nor will I be burdensome. I will not beg, nor will I be burdensome, nor will I be irresponsible. 
as far as my own duty is concerned. I can go and begin, you know, to show you a practical example of myself, of some of the things we have had to do in the past. Some of you met me, you know, here with school. But before that time, we've done what we should not do. All because we don't want to be burdensome on nobody. It is part of your Christian honor. It is part of the way that we showcase to the world around us the fact of our what being citizens of our kingdom. Okay, now let's look at one or two scriptures more and I'm done with this message. The wise pilgrim. So who is the wise pilgrim? The wise pilgrim is a pilgrim that knows his primary reason for existence. Yet, he is not irresponsible in those things that pertain to men. Correct? If you know this, you are blessed. And you're now getting involved with the things pertain to men must not distract you. Must not now consume you. And you now start defining your life in those things. Don't define the success, the progress of your life in money. Define it in how your primary reason of existence is affecting the way you make money and how you spend that money you are making. That is how to live. This is the pilgrim. This is how wise pilgrim. This is how they live. This is the mentality they have. This is the way they live. They don't believe they're going to snatch up money in the bank. They are pilgrim. They know they are passing here. So they are so circumspect. They are not wasteful, but they understand investment. In fact, chunk of their investment is in the world to come. So, they are converting their physical resources to spiritual substance. They are always becoming rich toward God. They get involved. See, you, God can begin to bless you in quotes. Materially speaking, God is giving you an advantage. And hear this. The money, the more it comes, the more you don't think of his kingdom. The more you keep seeing, how do I make more money? See, money begets money. In the arena of commerce, money begets money. And you can be sucked up in that. You can be sucked up. You won't give again. Somebody think if I, if I have now, I'll begin to give. You won't give. See, there are some things personally I deliberately do. Once good money comes like that, once money comes, I intentionally redistribute. Remember this? Remember this? Give to this? To church? To this? To like that? Personally. Because money is seductive. Once you finish building one house, another one is beckoning. Once you finish buying this car, another one is calling your attention. Yet you're a pilgrim. Yet you're going to leave those things. Yet the one who sent you will not measure your life by those things. But how faithful you were in his assignment as a steward. Are you then going to do that? It's time to be wise. Do you know the houses Paul could have built? A lawyer of lawyers, the way he walked, yet he built none, he invested so much. Paul invested in people. He said, I will gladly spend and be spent for you guys. He said, you guys know how this answer administer, not only to my needs, but to the needs of those who are with me. That was an apostle. Yet, apostle Paul, you know what I'm saying, was given to prayers, was given to fellowship, was given to everything you and I were compl- you are complaining about. And in their time, they don't even have it, they don't have it easy like us. A lot of things are doing a lot of things for us. Mechanization is there. 
But they didn't have that, all that. Everything was done by themselves. All of them. They did. And yet they still have time. And they still wrote. So what excuse are you going to give to God? Are you a wise pilgrim? Spend the time of your sojourning here with fear. Be wise. Let's close with this scripture that God's servant gave us again. First Thessalonians chapter 2. You know, like I said, this message is to remind us and to just steer us up in the way that is right. That's the last scripture we're going to read. First Thessalonians 2. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day because we'll be chargeable unto what? We will not be chargeable to anyone. See this guy again. All because Paul... See, Apostle Paul didn't know how to beg. Was he, was he a begging? I could see that in their ministry, they were not raising offering, using the way we say, you know, God is telling me, there are 10 people here to give one million. If you give it, then you get... Those guys were not doing all this. They were just sincere servants of God. Laboring night and day. Even if it means I have to work at night, I did. So that I will not be burdensome. I don't want anything that will affect the ministry. For labor in night and day, because we will not be chargeable unto any one of you. We preach unto you the gospel. You are witness, and God also. How holily and justly and unblameably we behave ourselves among you that believe. So this guy is modeled for us. You understand? That which is balanced. They were committed to the primary reason for their existence. You understand? But that which is a means for them to live well on earth, they did not become irresponsible in that. That balance was there with them. And you can learn that balance. You can learn it. We cannot learn it. See, as you grow into the future, all of us, let me say this, young. Let me tell. Let me tell us all this. Please, have it worked out. I will not be burdensome. I will not. It's one of the way we become burdensome to ourselves. You collect money for one that you don't pay back. You are becoming a burden. Christian likes that among themselves. No, don't do it. Don't be burdensome. Play your game well. Do you understand? Know I'm saying. See, you do not need any policing before you do the right thing. God has given us a natural police. Let that one be your umpire, your conscience towards God. Let it guide you. That as far as I'm concerned, I'm not going to take advantage of anybody. I won't be burdensome. I won't take advantage of my wife. I won't take advantage of my children. I won't take advantage of my parents. There are children that take advantage of their parents. And all of us are Christians. No. I won't take advantage of my friend. I won't take advantage of my boss. I won't take advantage of my workers. I will not be burdensome. You know you can be burdensome in a clever way. In a shrewd way. But you are still burdensome. You are eating people off. It is wrong. You understand? We are here. Our primary assignment is what? To knowing God. To knowing Christ. To becoming more like him. To modeling his life. To walking worthy of him. That's a primary assignment. 
to winning others to Jesus. That's the reason why we're here. But for us to do this, we're going to be we are involved with those things that, are, that pertain to men. We're going to be eating. We're going to be wearing clothes. We're going to be building houses. If you want to, one, if you see the need for one, and you have the capacity and the ability, why not do it? But hear this. We must not be consumed by those things. We must not make those things the measure of our life. We must always go back for the, to the reason of our existence, which is to knowing God. That must be the measure of our life. Amen to Jesus. Pilgrims we are. And wisdom must be our watchword as we chart the course of this life. To the glory of our God in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, our Father, we want to thank you tonight. We thank you for your word that has come to us powerfully, liberating us and giving us that insight, that balance, so that on all fronts we are not irresponsible. We are responsibly responsible. Responsible to our primary reason for existence and responsible in the affairs of men. We are. We are not irresponsible men, not irresponsible husbands, not irresponsible parents, not irresponsible children. We refuse to be irresponsible workers, boss, civil servants. We are not by your grace. We are your servants. We are conscious of the fact that we are pilgrims. And we molded that life that Jesus has given to us. Thank you, Father. Thank you as we walk in this balance. Thank you for the supply of your spirit that helps us. Each day of our lives. Each day count and reverberate to all eternity. Thank you, Father. May your name be glorified in our lives. And may we be glorified in your son. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Amen. God bless you. And uh, I'm trusting God that... uh, it's going to be another powerful time when each and every one of us will learn of God. Okay, of course, from the flyer, we have uh, our topic for today's discourse is basically the good man. And I'm trusting God that each and every one, each and every one of us will be impacted. So let's get settled down as we get into the business of God's word. The Bible says he sent his word, his word healed them and delivered them from all their destruction. And I am trusting God that God's word will be sent to each and every one of us. And with liberating force and with the power of the spirit of God, the word of God will do us great good in Jesus name. Let us pray. And so our father, we thank you again this afternoon. We thank you for your word that comes to us powerfully and your word transforms our lives. I ask, O oh God, that you will help me to make your word known the way I auto in the power of your spirit and with readiness of heart, your people will receive your word and your word will do everyone great good, transforming our lives and turning us into Christ in all its, full, in all its fullness so that we may function and glorify you in all things. Thank you, Father Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. Again, I welcome us on board. This is your servant sharing God's word with us, Laide Odushote. 
the late pastor integrity worship center bringing god's word to us so we're going to be looking at the message the good man the good man of course the bible you know is all over the scripture the word goodness good good man the man that is kind the man that is pleasant and the man that has all these qualities okay the good man you know simply the man that is good and then we want to look at it we are looking at things from the scripture not just from the general human point of view but we are looking at things from the scripture from the bible from the word of god the word of god we believe is going to be giving us the standard the truth that will help us you know this afternoon as we glean the scripture you know now the first thing we got to know is that you know god created man and in adam that is now not new to every one of us in adam all sinned adam sinned all of us eventually fell into sin and distortion entered man and henceforth we start seeing all kind of manifestations in man okay so the first thing i want us to look at is let's just get to this scripture Matthew and uh, chapter 19 now and verse 16. The good man, the man that is good. And verse 16. And, um, and behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? What good thing? What are the things I've got to do? So that I can obtain it, I can obtain eternal life. As if eternal life can be obtained on the basis of our good performance or our performances. Verse 17. And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? Why callest me thou, you know, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is that is God. But if thou shalt enter eternal life, keep the commandments. So this man came, you know, and of course, wanting to get the attention of Jesus. The first thing he said is, a good master, what shall I do? And Jesus caught into his question and told him, you know, you don't call me good master. For really, there is none that is good. None is good. So why then do we say the good man? How come we're going to be looking at the good man if the Bible tells us there is none good? Again, the Bible also will be the book, uh, you know, that is going to inform us on this path we want to follow this afternoon. So Jesus said, there is none good. Are we then saying there are no good actions, good things amongst men? Yes, there are. But when you look at the scripture, as the scripture, you know, as we peruse the scriptures together, as we expose the scriptures, you'll find that the goodness, the scripture longs to elicit or, you know, is looking for in men is completely different from whatever we have seen in men, you know, whatever we have seen in men. Now, you see, if you look at the flyer of today's service, the flyer, on the flyer, what you see there, you see a man trying to give a coin or, you know, some money to a beggar there. Now, when you look at that flyer, you know, that looks simplistic. That uh, paints a picture as if the good man is the man giving alms. 
Now, that is good. The good man gives arms. But that doesn't capture the whole picture or the whole truth about the good man as revealed, as revealed in the scripture. The scripture goes, you know, go beyond that to tell us that, you know, the good man is not just the man that gives to somebody. Of course, that man giving to somebody, that's good. But by the time you dig into more things, the Bible wants to inform you why is he giving that money? How did he get that money? So, when you look at the how, when you look at why, you find that at the end of the day, are we still going to say that is a good man? You know, I was uh, discussing with somebody that, you know, uh, when you look at people, how we generous one to another, when you look at people who are into philanthropy and things like that, while those acts are good, while those, you know, civil services are good and commendable, Sometimes you need to ask yourself more questions as to what informs some of these actions that we carry out. And then sometimes you even need to ask yourself, how do people even come by with this money they do? Back in the country, you know, in our own country, you see a lot of leaders during festivities doing a lot of, you know, giving, cooking food and distributing things. But you realize that the same politician deprived the citizen of their, you know, of their rights, of their financial rights, of those things that should have been distributed to them in form of their, in form of good education. Now they were deprived of that. The money meant for such a project has been squandered, has been corrupted, you know, in in a corruptible way. We have packed everything and kept everything to ourselves and our cronies. Then festivities now come. You see the same man doling out things, giving things out. Now, in that act, if you are being simplistic, when you look at that act that he did in giving out things for the less privileged, which we create by our, you know, by our, you know, by our injustice, by our unjust system, in the in the first place, that those people should not have, there should have been no need for such, but because they've been deprived, now they now need what we dole out to them. So when you look at it in a simple way, you will think that's a good man, but that's a good man. But by the time you look at it in a comprehensive way, you now find that is this man really good? Here is a boss who will not pay his workers the you know the amount he's supposed to pay them. Then he now give out some handout, some money, you know, some gifts at the end of the month, at the end of the year. Now, the, this, the, the workers are happy, but the truth is, is he really a good man? So we're going to look at the good man in a comprehensive way. We're going to look at things from the scripture. So when Jesus said, there is none that is good, Jesus was not being superficial. And Jesus was not being mean by saying that. Jesus, you know, as, you know took his time to look at man in a comprehensive way. You know, the Bible tells us something in Jeremiah chapter 17 and was saying that the art of man is deceitful. So when you look at, when you see man practicing or carrying out good acts or doing certain things in the direction of others, you must not be so quick to think ultimately this is an epitome of a good man. You need to ask yourself more questions and by the time we dig into that which leads to such actions, then you find that are we really good in our in our practices?
So Jesus said, there is none that is good. Now let's look at more scriptures that will help us in uh, unraveling this. We are looking at Revelation chapter 3. Now you know the reason why we are learning this is so that at the end of the day, you and I may come into alignment with this wisdom of the scripture. So peradventure, you and I, we are not found in this, that we may enter into this and begin to live our lives in a way that is pleasing to the author of life. Okay, Romans chapter 3, verse 11. Look at what Apostle Paul has to say again, writing and looking at man generally. Okay, verse uh, verse 11 of Romans and chapter uh, uh, 3. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Of course, prior to this letter, a lot of people go to worship center. They go to sanctuary. They go to temple. They do all manner of religious things. But Apostle Paul said this, you know, with audacity by saying that none understand, none seeketh after God. In other words, by the time we dig into this, you find that man is not truly seeking after God. It's because man is after things. But because we know God can help us in getting things, then we seek God. So really, we are not really seeking after God because God is the end of our pursuit. It's because we are seeking after things, we want things, we want better life for ourselves, then we have seen God as a means to that end. And for the Apostle Paul, that is not the true reason, that is a false reason for seeking God. Now look at verse 12 now. They are all gone out of the way. So we are not on the way. They are, they are together become unprofitable to themselves, yes, but to God, no. And ultimately, even to ourselves, we are not profitable. So we are all driven by selfishness, you know, me and mine and those things that pertains to my cronies. But when you look at the corporate sense, when you look at global sense, when you look at man in a generic sense, you know, in a generic sense, a sense, and look at man in terms of man in our global distribution, are we really profitable one to another? The Bible said they have become unprofitable. And it says, there is none that doeth good. So he said, there is none that doeth good. No, not one. So he said, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. So he said, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. So all are after theirs. All are just after their own interest. So even when you see us doing good, it's not because we are good. It's because I am primarily after mine. So, in this sense then, when we are looking at the good man, we are going to be looking at that man himself and what he does. So, we are not just going to look at the act of that man. We, are, we know our concern is first about the man. And then we are looking at his acts. 
You see, you and I, most of the time, we are quick to look at actions. But God is not just for concerned first about our actions. God is concerned about us. It is the person first. It is, you know, unseen realities, invisible, you know, invisible realities that shapes our actions that God looks at and that is actually what qualifies all us. So, we are, for you to say somebody is good or when you say this is a good man, you are not just going to stay with his actions. You must go ahead to look at the man first, interact with the person and then we look at his actions. Okay, so the scripture tells us that as far as God is concerned, he weighs our actions. The Bible tells us, for by him, actions are weighed. Why are you doing that? Why did you do this? By what means are you getting this done? And to what end? So for as far as God is concerned, when we look at the good man, we are looking at the motives by which that man is carrying out his actions, the motivations, and the means. And of course, we are now looking at the action itself. So the good man, as far as we are concerned, is not just the man of a good action. We are saying, what is your motive? For it is possible to do good things, yet my motives, you know, are not good. They are even evil. You remember David, you know, in the scripture, the Bible tells us of David, you know, who was then the king uh, in Israel. And the Bible tells us when all kings ought to go to, you know, to war, David stayed back at home. And of course, we know that David is staying back at home, eventually had that opportunity to have a fear with somebody's wife. Let's look at it. Let's look at it. Second Samuel 11. Second Samuel and verse um, Second Samuel and verse. Uh, 11 verse 2, and it came to pass in the eventide that David arose from his bed, of his bed, and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. So David saw this woman, Bathsheba, and eventually, of course, having seen the woman, could not take his eyes off her, eventually plotted you know, something that was anus, called one of his servants, go get me that woman. I wonder whether all the women you see, you just have to get. But David did this, eventually had sex with the woman. The woman became pregnant. But at that time, the husband of this woman, Uriah, was at war front, sent by David himself to go fight for Israel. And the husband was at war, at war front. Recall the husband. The husband came home. Now look at what David did. Now in that interim, the woman got pregnant for David. And David now plotted this. Now look at what David did in verse 7. And when Uriah was come up unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did. So he found out how the war was going. The leader, you know, at that time, Joab. 
and how the people did, and how the world prospered. And David said unto Uriah, Go down to thy house, and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and went not down to his house. So David plotted something, and he told Uriah, Oh, you're just coming back from a long journey from war. Go and rest at home. Take your time out, wash, you know, just relax, and then you go back later. With the mind that this man will have sex, you know, with his wife, Bathsheba. And then the whole thing we look at, you know, Uriah was the one that impregnated his wife. But the loyalty, the heart of this man will not just permit him to do such. He slept in David, you know, he slept in the king's palace. He slept at the gate with others. He wouldn't just do it. But you see, when you look at the action of that David at that time, telling Uriah, you know, to go back to his, his house, to go and wash, and then he sent some mess of meat, he sent some things to follow David, you will have thought that David was a good man. He, he has concern for Uriah. It was as if this is a laudable thing. What a boss! He loves his, his, you know, he loves his worker. He loves one of his one of his uh, uh, soldiers. He loves him, but it wasn't love driven. It was evil driven. The action was good, but the heart was rotten. You know, the Bible says that you know this Jesus describing man in uh, religious men in. Uh, in Matthew 23, and he was saying that many of us were like white sepulchre. He said, externally speaking, we are beautiful, but inwardly we are rotting. So, externally looking, we are look, we are good, we are attractive, we are pleasant, we are good, but inwardly, man is rotting. So, when we talk about the good man, we are not just looking at things superficially. We want to get into the depth of man. We want to get into the core of our being. We want to get into the, you know, the, the inward part of us where everything you know, flows out. Jesus says that for out of the heart of man, out of our being flows, we will get there soon. So you see, sometimes our actions are good. Now look at another scripture here telling us about good actions. Hebrews and chapter 12. Hebrews and chapter 12 and verse... Um, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 9. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, that's our earthly parents, which corrected us, corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much more rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? Here, the, you know, the writer of Hebrew was, is, was telling the saint as to the discipline that God meets out to his children. How the Father, God doesn't just leave his own alone. He, he, the, the, the measures of discipline that God brings apart in order to help us so that we can conform to the image of his son and partake in his own holiness. And he was comparing something that, you, if you know this, why will you not cooperate with God in God's dealings and transactions with us? That we have earthly parents who does, you know, who do, most of our parents, they correct us, they discipline us, and they do that from time to time. And we cooperate. Now look at what he said. 
Look at what he says now. Uh, verse 10. For they verily, for a few days, just chastened us after their own pleasure. So again, and he now said, after their own pleasure, they do this. But he, for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. So, you know, so he said that we have actually parents who correct us, who discipline us. You understand? And he said they do this for, you know, for some number of days or years that you are under the authority before you leave your parents. But he now brought something here that they do this for their own pleasure. So ultimately, the best of our parents are not good, according to this scripture, because there is a selfish motive in the best of our intent towards our children. By the time you dig into the motives and motivation of what we call parenting, you find that the ultimately is not for the best of that child of yours. Because in on many, you know, on many grounds, we are we are finite. There are many things we don't know about the future of such a child. So in our own limitedness and after our own pleasure, we chase him, we correct, we direct, we do many things for our children. And the Bible summarily say, you know, you know, the Bible summarily say that we do not even in our best capture the best of that child. But it also said that when God corrects us, when God comes in to correct, to chasten his own, it is ultimately for our profit because God is the epitome of goodness. He does his own for our profit that we may partake of his what? Of his holiness, which is the highest, you understand, that a man can partake of. Which is the highest privilege a man can come to be part of the holiness of God. That which makes God to stand in his own class. The orderness of God. The separateness that God is in his own class. That mortals are now brought into that. The Bible is telling us that this is the highest profit a man can get in his own existence in time. But God is doing that for his own. So we see, for us to say that a man is good, ultimately, until we dig into your motive, until we dig into your motivations, until we dig even into the means by which you are doing that. In our world today, you know, it's so easy to judge ourselves by actions, to eulogize people to do all that while that those things are good but you and i must know this as saints that ultimately those things might not capture the best that the best of god's judgment that's why the bible tells us that you should delay judgment you should not be quick to judge now leave judgment to god until that time when god will bring let me show you First Corinthians and chapter 4. 1 Corinthians and chapter 4 and verse 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness unknown to anybody about your motive, about your motivation. For instance, the Bible says that you know, a preacher should not preach for filthy locker. 
In other words, that means there is something as to preaching for the you know for the purpose of making money out of the pulpit. There's such a thing, but you can't know that. You can't know that by just looking at a preacher. Somebody say I can know by just listening to their preaching. It's not always true. Sometimes somebody is even preaching the right gospel, but by the time you look at the motive and motivation, it is still skewed. So you've got to wait till that time. But you see, God doesn't want you and I to just wait. God wants, as far as you are concerned, you know, as far as you and I are concerned, as far as your personal work is concerned, with God is concerned, you should be able to judge yourself. You should be able to judge your own goodness. You should be able to see to a large extent you are good, not just good, but you are on the path of goodness. So he said, who bring with who both we bring to light the hidden things of darkness and we make manifest the counsels of hearts, the motives, the motivations, the hidden things, and then shall every man have the praise of God. But most of the time, these are good deeds, these are good hearts, these are powerful things. So you see that it is not just laudable until God lords it. It is not just something that we can say, this is approved, this is powerful until that time. So we got to wait. But what we are saying is that you don't just wait in idleness. The scripture still informs us how we can straighten our path. How to a large, you know, to a large measure, we can still be on that path that God has for us. Okay, so we see that there is none good according to the scripture. Now let's get back to Mark 10 and look at something that Jesus said there. Mark and chapter 10. Mark and 10 verse 17. Look at what it says. Verse, okay, let's go to, okay, verse 17. And when it was gone, Fought into the way. There came one running and nailed, nailed to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest me good? There is none good. There is none good but one that is God. So Jesus told us categorically, There is only one good. There is only one that is good, and that is God. God is the only good one. Now, we're going to look at scriptures, as scripture tells us, the Father God is good. Psalm 119. Psalm 119. So, we are seeing here now that none is good, even though we carry our good hearts. But is it possible to eventually become good? Let's see it. Psalm 119 and 68. Psalm 119, 68. Thou art good. Jesus said there is one good. The Bible is telling us here, Thou art good. Not just good, and doest good. So you can see something here. God is good in nature. God is good in his acts. And God wants us to be like this. So the standard of God is we must be able to say of Lyde, Lyde, you are good and you do good, like your father in heaven. But that is not my story before. But the Bible wants to bring me into this, so that I can operate like my father in heaven. This is the goal of the scriptures. 
So the God is not just telling us that he is good. He is telling us he is good because he wants you and I to, to become good like him. So he said, thou art good and doest good. This is what God wants to be, you know, for all his own. That you and I, we, we, to be said of us, that we are good. Psalm 86. The same Psalm 86. Thou art good and doest good. You know our world needs good men. Our world, we need good men. That's what we need. This world needs good people. The pains in our world, the pain, the agony, the suffering, global, is because man is not good. Even when we, when we see a lot of us practice goodness, it's not still because we are good. Until God's invasion, until we are invaded by God, I, I, I think something will always go out of place with us. Psalms uh, 86 and verse 5. For thou, for thou, Lord, art good. Thou, Lord, art good. God is good, definite. And ready to forgive. Because he is good, he is ready to do this. Plenteous in mercy. That's his oppression. Unto all that call upon him. So we are seeing that God is good. And he's good to all. We are seeing that it's good to those who call him here. Let's look at another scripture, Psalm 145. Psalm 145 and verse 9. The Lord is good to all. The Lord is good to all. His goodness is to all. The goodness of God is divergent. The goodness of God covers all. Whether you respond to him, whether you are just or unjust, whether you are kind or not, whether you defer to God or not, God's goodness extends to us. His goodness extends to all. Why? Because God is inherently good. And God wants the same of us. You see, you are now only good to those who are good to us. That's not virtuous. That's not your nature driven. God wants actions that are driven by your person. So that I don't do, you know, my what I do is not externally driven or externally elicited. But it is, you know, it is done on the basis of who I am. You see, God's goodness comes to us on the basis of whom God is. And that is what God wants to share with us. And by the time we round up on this teaching, the good man we are looking for or we are looking at and God wants you to be must be the man that has taken after this order. Is a man that is being defined after this manner. So God is good to all. Now let's look at the works of his hand. So God is good in his nature. Now let's look at the nature of God again. Let's look at more scripture digging into God's nature. Exodus and 18. Exodus 18 and verse 9. Look at this. Exodus 18. Exodus 18. Sorry, 36. Exodus 36. Exodus 36 and verse 6. Exodus 34 verse 6. And the Lord passed before him, before Moses, and proclaimed about himself, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, 
long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth. You see, what God is saying about himself, is not just for himself. He's announcing it about himself that his children might take after him. So that all his children, this is what we're going to be used, this is what how we're going to be describing his own. The Lord God, merciful and gracious. So by the time we dig into the good man, this is what we're going to be saying of the good man. He is merciful. So if we say Lydia is good, then we must be able to say Lydia is merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth. But is that true of me? In my natural self, in my natural not knowing God's state, I don't think so. You see, because all men in our natural state, in Adam, we are fallen and none of us is good. So we can say, we are not truly merciful. We are, we, we are not gracious. We are not, you know, we don't exercise long-suffering one towards another. We are not abundant, abundant in goodness. So even when we show goodness, it's not because we have certain abundance. It's, you know, we are scarce in it. We, are, we, we have little of it. That's why we can't distribute it to all men as opportunity comes before us. But we are looking at that which God expects of us. That this is the standard. This is where we are going. This is what we seek of you and I. This is what the scripture wants for us. Isaiah 63. Isaiah 63, the good man. Oh, our world is blessed. When we have so many good men. You know it was... um, uh, one man said something the other time. He said, there is, no, there is no greater way that God can bring judgment to a people than to give them ruthless leaders, to give them leaders that are not good, leaders that are not kind, leaders that are, you know, evil at it. There's no greater way to judge a people that if we don't have good men on the throne of leadership, the whole city, the whole nation will suffer. So one of the things that has brought suffering to our world, to our globe, is that somehow good men have not been the one who governed us. We have not found good men in position of leadership, good parents. We have not had good, you know, workers, good employers, good, you know, CEOs, good people across the globe, regardless of the skin color. Good men. And what our world needs today is the gifts of good men across the divide. Emergence of men that are good, you know, not just in actions, but in motives, in means. They are really on top of the game. They are really pro the best of all. They are constantly digging into the best for all, you understand, without disregarding and casting, you know, and, and, and looking and after what is in need for them. So God is good to all. He is good. Isaiah 637. Look at it. I will mention Isaiah 63 and verse 7. I will mention of the loving kindness of the Lord. And the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has bestowed upon us. And the great goodness towards the house of Israel, which he has bestowed on them according to his mercies. According to the multitude of his loving kindness. Look at the nature of God in action. His loving kindness, his mercies, his goodness. 
is benevolence, is love, is favor. You know, God is demonstrating that towards us. And this is what God has for man. Now let's look at his works. We have seen his nature. We have seen his essence. Now let's look at his, you know, in terms of works, his operations. Psalm 33. Psalm 33. Psalm 33 and verse 5. The Bible says, He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. The earth is full of the goodness of God. And God wants the environment you control, you have authority over to be full of your goodness. God wants your neighbor. God wants your worker. God wants your employee. God wants people around us to partake of your goodness. Just like the spread of the rule of God over the old globe enjoys the goodness of God. The earth is full of his goodness, not his meanness, not his, you know, his wickedness. God doesn't even have it. The earth is full of his goodness and his goodness is to all, to all. Even to the rebellious, Psalm 104. Psalm 104. And verse, uh, verse 24 now. O Lord, how manifold are thy works in wisdom, and thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. The earth is full of your riches, the riches of your hands, the riches of your kindness. The whole earth is full of it because thou art good. 28. Look at 28. That thou givest, that, that, that thou givest them, they gather. Thou openest thy hand, they were filled with good. Still talking about all, all animals across the globe. Man across all the divide, waiting on God, looking unto God. And you see, the Bible says they, 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 they are filled with your good. The earth is full of his goodness. His sun, his rain, his snow, the waters across the globe, animate, inanimate, resources of the earth, the gold, the silver, the oil, the precious stones, the trees of the forest, the birds that sing. Man in his intricacies. And all the goodies, you know, of creation, of, you know, and all our, what, exp explorations into technology. The earth is good. It's filled of it. And God is sustaining all things. Things are not going out of order. Sometimes we see in code what we call the fury of modern nature. But sometimes you really need to think and know that thank God for his strength and power, keeping the risk and restraining nature from really bringing his fury on man because of the original sin. But God is good and he keeps and he's keeping and his long suffering is in action, not willing that any should perish. But he longs that all should come to the knowledge of repentance. Why? Because God is good. And his goodness is still here till tomorrow. The sun is still rising because God is good. The rain is still falling. Things are still happening. Whether people, you know, whether they commit sin or not, whether they are good, to, whether we respond to God's goodness or not, the goodness of God is here. 
God is too good. God is good. And God wants that to be said of you and I. This is the goal of Christianity. This is the goal of the call of God, you know, in his Christ towards you and I. That it may be said of us, like that you are good. You know, I was listening to uh, one message like that. Some of, you know, one brother and I were just discussing. And after the discussion, I was just thinking, am I really good? Am I really taking after Christ? Can it be said of me that this is a good man? You know, sometimes you really need to pause and take stock of your life. The Bible tells us in, uh, where now? 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5. It said, examine yourself, whether you are still in faith. Don't you know yourself? So sometimes you and I need to take stock of our lives, of our oppressions, of, you know, of the person you are becoming. And look at your rough edges. Are you really sure, you and I, that in your interaction with people, people are coming to partake of the goodness, of the aroma, of that, you know, the beauty of God, the kindness, his essence? In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he said, you are, you, are, you are a peculiar people. Look at it. 1 Peter 2, 9. 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises or the excellencies of him, the excellencies, the nature, those things that make God God, you should show it forth. So God has brought us into his kingdom that we may show forth his excellencies. God wants you to show forth his praises in the marketplace. See, we come to church, we are here in a learning of God, but God wants us, as we live this through Monday to Sunday, we are living God out. We are living Him. We are, we are living out His life. We are making Jesus know His fragrance. We are, we, are, we, are caught, we are taking cue of our Father. His nature is in us. Okay, so we see it. Uh, the whole earth is full of His goodness. Let me show you one more scripture. Then we just run because really, I really want to finish this message today. I don't really want to have a part two. Psalm 107. Psalm 107 and verse 8. If we can, then we'll not just be looking at the, the you know, we just craft something for it. Psalm 107 and verse 8. Oh, that man will praise the Lord for his goodness. And for his wonderful works to the children of men. Not just to Israel. Not just to his church. To the children of men. So all men are enjoying the goodness of God. All men are enjoying that which Jesus created. What Christ has made. Colossians 1.15 tells me. For all things were created by him and for him. All men are enjoying it. All men. Regardless. All men. All men. So all that men will, you know, to the children of men, for he satisfied the longing soul and filled the hungry with what hungry soul with his goodness. You know what song says? He had filled, he had filled the hungry with his goodness. He had filled the hungry with his goodness, the goodness of God, all of, across the globe. What a good God we call upon. Verse fifteen. Oh, that man. This place says again, he said, Oh, that men will praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. The wonderful works of God to the children of men. 
Let's praise God. Let's give him thanks. His goodness is just all over the place. Okay. So we've seen the goodness of God. And then when Jesus came, the summary of the coming of Jesus as that prophet, as the, you know, as the incarnate, you know, of God, you know, we see Jesus in his physical manifestation here. By the, by the time the Bible summarized the ministry of Jesus, Acts 10.38, Apostle Paul said, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good. Healing all those who are oppressed of the devil. You know, it's demonstrating the goodness of God. So we see from gener- from ages, the goodness of God, the goodness of God. To do evil is alien to God. Okay, so we've seen it that the goodness of God is all over. But now let's come back to man because our concern is really you and I. But the Bible describes you and I as have, as be what none of us being good. Now look at it, Mark. Let's go back to Mark ten. You and I have been described as being not being good, but the only one is good. Mark ten again. Mark ten and seventeen. Mark ten. Okay, okay. Let's go to Mark seven. Mark seven. We've looked at Mark ten. Mark 7, 21 now. We've seen that Jesus said, none is good. You know, none is good. Okay, so look at it. And he said, that which cometh out of the man defileth the man. From within, for, for from within, out of the heart, out of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. Out of the heart of man proceed all this. Look at that 10 again. Mark 10 and verse, uh, let's get to verse 17 to 19. Okay. Um, look at it. Why callest thou me good? There is none good. There is none good but one that is God. Thou knowest the commandment of God. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor your father and mother. And then he, he continued. And he was saying that from the treasure of the heart of man proceed all this evil. Proceed all this evil. Evil proceed from the treasure of our heart. So you see, why are we not good? Because something fundamental is wrong with our hearts. So from that heart, proceed all this. And Jesus, by the time he was describing all that was proceeding from us, it, 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 it has to do with everything that has to do with our horizontal relationship with fellow men. In the way we treat with, you know, we treat fellow men. The wickedness, the lust, the adultery. The fornication, the evil eye, the wickedness, everything proceeds from our heart. And it's on the basis of our word, it manifests in our word, horizontal relationship with fellow men. So we see that even though you want to be good or you carry out a good heart for a while, but because it's not you naturally, before you know what happened, in another moment, you're going to ruin everything you have done with another evil act, 
Why? Because there's something fundamentally wrong with us. And of course, I can trace this back to the tree that gave birth to this, the tree of knowledge of evil and of good. So the tree we ate has two branches or has two dimensions to good and evil. So you do good, there is evil accompanying it. You do evil, there is good accompanying it. So really, we are not good until we partake of the of one tree, the tree of life. The life now dictates all us. So we've seen the problem of man. Jeremiah chapter 17 9 tells us the heart of man is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So there's a problem with our heart. Any wonder in helping man and in restoring us. It said in Ezekiel 36, he said, a new heart will I give them. A new spirit will I put within them. So that new treasure and the treasure here will now be the habitation of God himself. So new treasure, you understand, has come to, you know, to take hold of us. So that in us now, in our heart, is now new treasure. All treasure of wickedness is removed because the heart has been changed. This is what God did. Now look at it, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians and chapter 4. So we now begin to see the technology of the emergence of good men, of the good man. So all of us, none of us is good. God has seen it. But now, according to his own operation, the first thing he did, and it's true that what God did for us in fulfilling that in Christ, is to change that heart, to remove that stony heart, and to give us a new heart. And then to now inhabit that heart by himself. See, the presence of God in our heart as is now the beginning of new emergence of new treasure. Now look at this 2 Corinthians and chapter 5, chapter 4, verse 5. It says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servant for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in adding vessels. We have this treasure in the vessels of, you know, of clay. You and I, we have this artillery natural suit, artificial artillery suit. But God has come to inhabit us in the presence in the person of his Christ by his spirit. But to do this, he first changed our heart. So that it's now a new temple fashioned and fabricated by God himself. So God now inhabits that heart of ours. You see, this habitation of God in your heart automatically had made you a new man. You have become a good man positionally. So the good man is primarily, according to the scripture, the one that have this treasure. And what is that treasure? Christ, verse 7. But we have this treasure in every vessel that the excellency of the power may be of God. So we now have new treasure. Now, it is from this treasure flows all the treasures. All the treasures of goodness, of kindness, of mercies towards all. We now have Christ as our treasure. Now, Christ in us is what has now refashioned us after the order of God, making us to become good men. So, in Christ, the good man has emerged. The good man has emerged. 
So who then is this good man? The good man is the man with a new nature and having Christ living on the inside of him. That's the good man. And because this man is now this, is now a good man, is now after the goodness of all, just like his father in heaven is after the good of all. This is a good man. So I wrote this down. To be good then, after this order, is to seek. Just like your God seeks the prophet. You know, when, when I was sharing with us in Hebrews 12, you know, God disciplined us that we might partake for our own good, that we might partake of his holiness. So the good man now is this man who seeks the profit of all, you know, an expression of the way our Father in heaven operates. So to be good then after this order is to seek, give, contribute. Hear it again, to seek, to give, to contribute to the progress, good, joy, advantage and advantage of others. On the basis of your person and all that you have received from the good one that resident on the inside of you. So the good man functions after, you understand, the order of the good one, which is Christ. And because Christ is the embodiment of all that is God. You know, the Bible said that all the fullness of Godhead, you know, is found in Christ. So that the Christ is now in us, bringing to us all the fullness of God. And because God is good, you of a necessity, positionally now, you are now good. It is now expected of you in practice to now begin to operate in goodness. This is the journey of your Christian life. This is what you are going to be doing. So your fellowship, your interaction, learning, you know, growing the Lord is so that you can, you can become an expression of this life. Anyone that the Bible says, be ye perfect like your father who is in heaven. So that you cannot function like your father. That is alien to us in our natural self. But now we are now new species of men. We are now good people in Christ. And because you are good, it is expect of you, expected of you to practice goodness. Okay, I, put, I have another definition here. To deal with men, you understand? To deal with all, you understand? Understanding, their, to deal with the shortcoming of people, their idiosyncrasies, imperfections, to deal with all. On the you know all our idiosyncrasies, shortcomings, imperfections, hearts, you deal with all all of that in others, on the basis of your mercy, because the good one is now in you, is mercy now reside on the inside of you, so you are now merciful people. That good man is now a massive is now a merciful man because the merciful one is now has now come to inhabit us. On the basis, you know, imperfection of others, on the basis of your own mercy, kindness, love, power, every, you know, etc., which you have received from the good one. 
So the good one comes to resident on the resident on the inside of us with his mercy, with his peace, with his kindness, with his love, with everything. You know, Jesus said, My peace I give unto you. My forgiveness I give to you. My mercy. The Bible says we are vessels of his mercy. You that have not obtained mercy, you have now obtained mercy. First Peter. First Peter chapter 2. First Peter 2. And verse, um, verse 10. Look at it. Which in time past were not a people. We are just human beings. Dispersed. Across the globe, offspring of God. God created us in his image. But we are not, in the sense of carrier of his nature, members of his own family. We are not. But in Christ, God has done something powerful. Out of the whole human race, as many as have received him has become his people. And God is still extending that to many more through you and I. That's why we got to preach. That's why we are living the life of Christ. And we are witnessing to people with our lives and with our words. Look at it, verse 10. Which in time past were not a people, but now the people of God. We have now become God's people, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. We, are, we have obtained mercy. Mercy resides on the inside of us in Christ. We have now received his peace. The Bible said the love of God is shed abroad in our heart. You know, 1 Corinthians 5, 5. The love of God is resident. The kindness, the mercy, the goodness of God. So we are now good people. It now behoves us to make it manifest, to live in this, to make this the practice of our lives. This is what Christianity is all about. This is emergence of good men. So across the globe, Christians must be known as good people. Good in the place of work. You are an asset to that organization. You are not one that brings pains. You are good. You are good parents because you are good men in Christ. You are good workers. You are good politicians. You are good civil servants. You are good businessmen. You are good artisans. You are good. We are not after primarily to rip people off. No. Our interaction with people, our connect with people is at the level of goodness. Let me show you two more scriptures. I think I'm just going to round up now. Romans 15. This is powerful for me. This is, this is it. I think I'm just going to take the practical expressions of goodness through these people. And then we're going to look at history, look at things that has happened, how Christians have been on the forefront, how many they lay down their lives, they sacrifice their comfort, you know, just for others, burdened with the life of Christ. Oh, brethren, God is calling us to something higher. God is taking us from low living to high living, that we are good people. Good people, this is a clarion call. Answer to the mandate of your master in heaven. Answer to that mandate. Answer to, respond to the nature that is on the inside of you. Good people, we are not, we don't bring pain on our wake. No, we are good. We steward all hours to the advantage of all. Everybody on our part, 
will enjoy our good. In Romans 12, Bible was telling us something that haven't been renewed, your mind being renewed, conforming to the image of Christ, thinking like Christ, it towards the last, he said, we should not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Why? Because we are good people. Don't let any action elicit evil in you. It was Martin Luther that said, nobody must stoop so low that you begin to hate those who hate you. You can't do that because you don't have hatred in you. You are good people. You are merciful. We are kind. We are loving. That's our nature. They do evil to us. We can't curse back because we don't have that nature in us. Our own... You know, our own spring does not bring bitter water and sweet water. Our own doesn't bring, no. The nature we have is just one, good, and it's good to us all. To the end, our Father in heaven may be glorified. This is a call of God upon our lives. And we're going to revel in this. Romans 15, 14. Let me stop on this and then we continue. We take it here next week. Look at it, verse 14, Romans. Romans 15, 14. Let's read, from, let's read verse 13 and 14. Now the God of all hope fill you with all joy. Wow. And peace in the believing. You see, joy, peace, all these things are inherent in us. Potentially in Christ. But see, our fellowship with the, with the Father we bring there to be a cultivation. Bring it to practical expression, which the Bible called the fruit of the Spirit. We'll look at this thing next week. Look at the practical expression of it. I feel you in the believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Verse 14. And I myself, I am persuaded of you, brethren. You see, I'm persuaded of you, bro. I'm persuaded of you, sis. This is the persuasion of the scripture. Are you a Christian? This is our persuasion of concerning you. The Bible says, well, for we, what? we are convinced in Christ of better things concerning you in Christ Jesus. We are persuaded of you, my brethren, that you are what? That ye also are full of goodness. Wow. Brethren, I'm persuaded of you. This is my confession towards you. I'm persuaded. You are full of goodness. Goodness must be the natural thing I want to see. When you behave contrary to this, your conscience can go far. You're going to repent. You're going to say, Lord, no way. This is not my nature. You're going to go back and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I repent and make amends. This is a call. This is the highest call of, our, of God upon our lives. And this is going to dissolve into how you will use our time, our money, our energy, all the platforms God has given to us, all our advantages in life. All the opportunities we have, we're going to use them to demonstrate the goodness of God. And so God is bringing his power to be upon your life, his wisdom, his favor. Everything of God is coming your direction. And the end of it is that the goodness of God may be demonstrated. Do you know the ultimate of it? The goodness of God is going to lead many to repentance on your part. For the goodness of God demonstrated to you, through you will lead many to repentance. And that is what God is doing in there now. Brethren, the good man is that man in Christ. The investment of heaven is upon him. The investment of heaven has brought a revolution. An exchange has, take, an exchange has taken place. And an exchange, exchanges are taking place. And a good man that you are potentially by position, 
is imagine in experience. This is a call of God. And you and I have no option than to flow in this. For in this is the highest way to live. In this is the ultimate fulfillment. And your Father in heaven will be glorified. Because men will see your light which emanates through good works, through decisions, through actions that are born out of pure goodness. No more in ordinary on the inside of us. It's gone because our motives and motivation are now Christ, the reason. Not even ourselves. It is not because of what we want to gain for ourselves. It is because we have gained everything in Christ. And for his pleasure, we carry out all ours. May the Lord just come true for you and I and give us rich understanding in Jesus' name. At this junction, we're just going to call it a day and continue next week. And so, our Father, we thank you so much. I want to believe you have learned something. So why don't you just pray along with me and just pray that prayer. Say, Lord, I've learned so much. I learned that you have made me a good man. Don't say you are not. You are a good man in Christ if you are one. Take that responsibility. You see, if you still think you are not a good man, then you can excuse yourself of your behavior. But you are a good man in Christ. If you are in Christ, you are a good man. And I challenge you, just the scripture said, our brethren, we are persuaded of goodness, that you will be found in goodness. We are persuaded of that, that that will be your life. You will be full of goodness. And I pray that that will be your experience, that you will be full of goodness. You are not just expecting goodness from people. You are the goodness people are looking for. You are the good man on your path. You are the good man. And everybody that meets you will enjoy your good, will see the goodness of God through you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this high life you have called us to in your son. You have taken us from depravity, from the downtrodden life, and you have exalted us by grace. Grace has lifted us up to a high position to live, and grace sustain us, and grace keep us in this dimension, in this direction of life. Thank you for such working you have done by your spirit, and you have made us new species of men. Thank you because you have turned us to good men. And Lord, we take that responsibility. We respond to your operation. That Lord, we will walk in goodness. We will demonstrate it. Help us, Father, that in whatever state we find ourselves, your goodness is what people will take from us in the name of Jesus. Thank you as you help us to reach out to others in our actions, in our words, and in all our lifestyle. That people will come to touch you through us. And many too will come to submit to the Lordship of Jesus. Through the goodness of yours that they will see in our lives. That will eventually lead them to repentance too. Thank you, Father. Blessed be your name. Lord, I ask, O oh God, that you will extend your goodness in practical expression to such, to many of that are hearing my voice. You will come true for them. Supernaturally, you will cause their needs to be met. Lord, heal somebody that is hearing my voice. The Bible says, how you anointed Jesus of Nazareth with Holy Ghost and with power. He went about doing good and your goodness was demonstrated in healing the sick. Lord, I ask, oh God, that that sick man that hears this will be healed in the name of Jesus. Jesus, make you whole in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Come true for this one. Lord, deliver this one from whatever that Satan planned for such. Just at the nick of time, deliverance come your way. God, 
grant you way of escape and you are covered in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you so much. I give you praise. And I pray, Lord, that this one, they will bear the fragrance of your goodness everywhere they go in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. What a time out there that we have. What a powerful time 